This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. This is the Primetime Podcast. I'm your villain host for Ricky Widmer, Sean Anderson. Alongside me, as always, is Dave Oster. Hey, everybody. Not really alongside me, as always. This is a new pairing for the past month. It is. We're, we're going to have fun with it. We're going to be talking about the big board that we have coming out. But first, we're going to be talking about some graduate transfers for the upcoming NCAA basketball season. And we're going to be welcoming on our patron, Matt, uh, for that segment. And if you want to be like Matt, if you want to be on the Primetime Podcast, the Fast Break, the Onside Kick, any of our other podcasts, check out patreon.com slash Podcast, and we also got Matt to, uh, to to come on to the Discord. And if you could do, if you want to give a, a dollar a month uh, at patreoncom podcast, you can jump on the Discord and talk with all of the guys from MVP and all of our patrons that are in there as well. It's a fun time. So let's get all of that out of the way. We're going to be talking about the big board. We're going to be talking about grad transfers, and we're going to welcome in our patron Matt, who had the idea for the grad transfers topic. Matt, how you doing? Doing good. How about you guys? Doing pretty good. Uh, yeah. It might be a very eventful. Uh, seen outside of our window, if you could see it on the camera. Yeah, I might get distracted at times. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's <laughs> we're having some fun Memorial Day weather uh, here, but uh, outside of that, it's it's been pretty good, and we're excited to talk about some grad transfers. Um, we've seen the 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 impact of some of these players that you know come through, um, and and, and the f- effect they can have on, on some of these teams. Uh, obviously, you can go back to the uh, Michigan team with Spike uh, Spike Albrecht having a, a massive effect. Uh, on his team being a grad transfer and and you you wanted to bring this topic up and and kind of talk about our feelings about the grad transfer program how it can affect teams and then also you know what are some of the big names that could really affect college basketball this season so let's start off with the feelings uh, aspect first you were talking that Purdue your team got a couple guys or got a guy um, from high point and and he's going to be added to the team obviously he's going to help out your team a little bit but what is your overall thought, thoughts about the grad transfer program? So I guess my overall thoughts, I think, I think it's a, it's a decent idea in terms of, you know, you don't sacrifice the academic aspect of it. it you are, you know, they are graduating their, their previous, um, getting, getting their degree wherever they were prior, which I think is good to promote, you know, and keep that academic part of it for sure. Um, but then allowing them to transfer and play at maybe a, a higher level than what they're used to, at least in a lot of these cases. So I think it's good from that aspect. What I what I think is maybe um, the one negative I see to it is that that is exactly what it is, is a lot of guys from maybe lesser tier Division One teams that usually step into, a, a you know, more of a role um, on higher level teams, you know, um, Matt Mooney, I guess, is maybe an extreme case of that for Texas Tech because he actually played more than a, just a role, I would say. But I guess my point being just that I think it's maybe, you know, a little bit to the disadvantage of those smaller teams, the mid-majors, just because they're going to lose guys like this when they become eligible for grad transfer, and they're going to lose them to more of the blue bloods that, that need those spots filled by players leaving early for the NBA. Mm-hmm. 
and, and I want to correct myself. I, I said Spike helped out the team as a grad transfer from Michigan. He started off at Michigan and then went to your Purdue, obviously, um, as a grad transfer. That was the, the, the most notable guy that I, I can remember. But that is a, a good point, at least with the mid-majors being the most effective. And, and Dave, we look at the list um, coming out. The big one to me is Kerry Blackshear from for Virginia Tech, the yeah. power forward, 6'10", played with Nikki Alexander-Walker um, this past year. So he's going to be uh, available. He has not committed to a school. But then you also look at Little Rock, Rajon Tucker, um, averaged 20.3 points per game at Little Rock. He committed to Memphis. So that Memphis team now gets a little bit more loaded. They went from to loaded. Yeah. Uh, Bucknell, uh, they, they lost one of their best players, uh, Nate Sestina. He committed to Kentucky, so another Blue Blood team. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on this? Because obviously, you know, Matt brought up a point that, you know, these mid-majors kind of get weeded out a little bit and the Blue Bloods just get richer. But is it really helping these players? Because, you know, if they're going to these teams that mm-hmm. are already loaded, are they going to get enough playing time to really, you know, fulfill what they want i mean we really don't know what they want exactly right if it's more playing time or if it's more of a brighter stage if it's just winning but i mean overall what are your thoughts on can the players what the players really gain from from the grad yeah i think it gives them an opportunity not only to kind of give themselves more of a spot like you like you were saying but also continue their college basketball career because Let's be fair. There's only 60 guys who are going to get drafted. Then there's only a handful of guys after that who are going to get invites to a two-way contract. So a lot of the time you have guys who are ending college and, you know, they're they're doing really well, but they're also at that, that second tier of schools. So they're not going to get the looks. They're not going to get the invites. So their options are, well, I'm done playing basketball and I can go to a, to a normal career or I can go try my luck in Europe or, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere like that. And I think that this kind of gives them that second bit of hope going forward. It's like, look, just because I finished my years and I got my degree, I can go ahead and give it one last shot, be a veteran on a team that is going to be in the tournament. Maybe I can make a run for the NCAA tournament or maybe I can add in that veteran confidence, help lead that team to something. Or I can show, look, guys, I beat lower levels competition. Now that I'm on the top tier, I'm doing it just the same. I'm worth a look in the draft. For sure. And I think we kind of see that in the guys that are currently available right now, uh, or some of the guys that at least uh, are grad transfers. Uh, You look at Blackshear, and I think he's one guy that it's more about winning and it's more about continuing his career. Yeah. You look at, you know, they're going to be losing Nikki Alexander-Walker. Um, that team might not be the same, and he might not feel like they have the same amount, you know, same chance to win. And he probably thinks he can help a, a you know, bigger school to possibly a championship where he might not feel that's available for Virginia Tech. I don't know how much he can help his draft stock per se, but he is a very good college basketball player, yeah. and that's for sure. He might be one of those guys that you know maybe he does continue his career, but maybe it's in Europe or maybe it's in the G League. But I look at a guy like Ray John Tucker, six five two ten out of Little Rock, and he's had a very interesting career. Started off at Florida Gulf Coast, um, played 35 games his freshman year, 33 games, but only started seven games total. And in that his freshman and sophomore year, averaged 6.2 points and 7.7 points and probably felt at Little Rock he can get more playing time and, and transferred and then uh, transferred over there. And then last year, in 36 minutes played, started all 30 games, shot 49% from the field, 41% from three, 77 from the line, grabbed 6.7 boards, about two assists a game, and t- scored 20.3 points per game. So he's a guy that did a typical transfer to mm-hmm. get more playing time and get a bigger shine on himself, and clearly that paid off. And now I feel like this is a move to see if he takes a step up in you know competition for his, his self, what he can actually show and possibly make uh, an, an NBA career out of this because he's a guy that you know, really, it was only had one full year of actual playing time. 
and did a phenomenal job. But people are obviously going to discredit it right away because he didn't play at a blue blood school. Yep. Now going to Memphis and being on a, a team that's going to be massively in the spotlight, you have Penny Hardaway, you have the best recruiting class this year coming there. And if they're in the tournament and, you know, John Tucker is one of the guys that comes out and starts leading this team, especially in big tournament time, and he's a grad transfer with all these freshmen in this team, he could be a veteran leader out there and lead this team pretty deep into the, the NCAA tournament if all their plans work out to fruition. Mm-hmm. So this is a guy that might help his actual NBA stock. So for programs like that or for guys like that, you know, where, you know, Kerry Blackshear can go at least, you know, succeed in his, his college career, and John Tucker could possibly build up an NBA career. I do like the program for that. It's just kind of where you know Matt comes in. It's like you look at Bucknell and Nate Sestina. Yeah, he might you know get some credit for what what they're going to do at Kentucky, but I don't know if he's ever going to be that guy for Kentucky. I don't know how much playing time he's going to get. Cal Parry's kind of got limited rotations, yeah. and you're just taking away one of Bucknell's best players, and he's not really able to finish out his whole career as a Bucknell Bison and kind of, you know, really cement his legacy there. And that, that kind of rubs me the wrong way. And, and that's where I sit on this, uh, Matt. What do you f- feel about some of the guys that we mentioned, uh, some of the guys that we haven't mentioned, and, and some of the guys that, you know, you feel like you're kind of building up, uh, you know, some of their resumes? Yeah, so I, I think you bring up some interesting points in terms of, you know, the whole motivation factor because i think that's a big part of it some guys they, they're doing it for the sake of winning um some guys are doing it you know maybe with with the hopes of improving their draft stock so i, I think that does need to be considered on kind of on an individual basis for sure um i think two guys that maybe i i wasn't thinking of them pr- at, up front because they're actually not eligible this year but there are you know people that decide to transfer um and sit out the year since they haven't graduated and that being um the Hauser brothers for for Marquette mm-hmm. um I think I guess I don't know if it's set in stone but I think I saw that one of them's going to go to Virginia and the other to Michigan State um so I, I that's that's pretty big I guess I don't know in those cases that that kind of rubs me the wrong way just in terms of you know how committed were they to their program to begin with especially since they are playing on such a high level um, I mean, the Big East obviously maybe had a little bit of a down year this year, but, but you know, generally still such a high level of basketball that, you know, here they are already looking to for the, for I don't know more or less an easy way out. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't I don't I kind of don't like that aspect of it, but I I, I kind of do like it for the the lesser tier guys that you know this is going to be their one chance to, to go to the big dance and to make a name for themselves. Um, I think I, I like that. I don't like the guys that kind of use it, you know, and and don't necessarily go all in. It, at least, at least, it doesn't appear to me don't go all in with the team that they're in to begin with. Yeah, I I think that I agree with you in that point. And and we obviously never know the full extent of what they're going through in their college careers. And and I, I always kind of feel like it's iffy too. I, I kind of lean with you where it's like, all right, you started at a place. Why aren't you finishing there? And it's like it, it kind of does a disservice to the fans and it's also like well you committed like you 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 put yourself towards that but then again I've I've been a college student before and I've known people who have gone places and it just didn't meet their expectations they want to be closer to home uh you know they they just feel like it wasn't their fit and that I understand and and these kids are young um so so I kind of feel like you know I'm, I'm in the same boat and I'm also not in the same boat with you uh Matt you know 
transferring such a, a, a iffy thing because it's like, well, are you giving up or is it just something that you think it's going to be better for you in your future? And I think ultimately we just kind of have to accept it just because these people are thinking they're making the best move for themselves. However, you know, you look at situations like uh, let's just go to college football, like Tate Martell, mm-hmm. uh, where he was promised something at Ohio State, did not get it. And then obviously went to Miami and tried to is, is trying to become their starting quarterback. Um, that stuff I, I understand at least for a, a career position because he's trying to you know put it, put a, make his name in college football so he can possibly get drafted. Um, and, and and with some of these guys, I really don't know if they're trying to make a career out of it at least in the NBA because I don't know if they're going to have the ability to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's I, that's where I kind of come in with like you know the guys from like Bucknell where yes you could possibly play in the tournament, but you're kind of just giving up and and and, and not giving it all to the, the the team where if you've been there for four years, at least, you know, and, and I don't know Nate's, you know, situation, but I, I think that that's kind of the part where it's, that leaves a bad taste in my mouth where maybe if a guy's just like a little bit younger and it's a typical transfer, um, that kind of makes it easier to swallow for me, Dave. Yeah, I, I just go back to the, like, smaller schools. How much are they losing out of this situation? And I don't know that I think it's still fine for them. I, I get it. It may seem unfair that, you know, you're the guy who's kind of grown up along with your team and helped you guys throughout a couple of years is leaving to go play for a better opportunity somewhere else, better opportunity in air quotes if you want to, but, like, that's what it is. I, I think it's still... I, I think it almost can be a plus to their recruiting, though, because if you have success stories come out of that, if you're able to have, like, a program where, you know, hey, look... We are able to coach you up, and then, you know, if you grad transfer by the time you're done here, you can go play for a Blue Blood and go get that experience in your career. That might be seen as a positive. So I think it's it's so – it's just a bizarre situation right now because we don't have, like, a great track record of how, are these guys going to succeed or fail or what, what level, you know, are we expecting them to go on. So I think until we have that down, it's going to be a little tricky, but I still see it as a positive – like across the board. I think the players get what they want at the end of the day. Like it's their choice. And if they want to go on and continue playing basketball, awesome for them. Um, I get it. The whole graduate year thing is shitty, but mm-hmm. for the school, but at the same time, you know, if you become a, if you're able to help guys go through their career, I think that's all the coaches want at the end of the day anyway, you know? Yeah. And, and at least with the, the the whole transfer, you know, the, let's go away from just grab transfers. The whole transfer situation that's, that's currently going on, there's some big names out there, some former five-star recruits. Uh, Derek Thornton, who started off his career at Duke, then at USC. He's currently in the transfer portal um, looking for a place to go. Uh, Quad Green, who had uh, two years at Kentucky, he's a former five-star recruit. He's going to be going to Washington. They've been a team consistently that has, you know, high-profile names go there, and he's going to try to, you know, play guard with uh, Matisse Thibel leaving yeah. and uh, J- Jalen Norwell, uh, J- Jalen Noel as well leaving. And then you look at uh, Javon Quinterly as well. He's a five-star recruit, uh, went to Villanova, committed to Villanova, and, and now is looking for, for a new place. Um are there any names that are non-grad transfers, Matt, that stick out to you that can possibly have an effect um, for a longer time? Because most of these grad transfers are going to be there for a year until they end up leaving. But are there any guys that are currently out there that you know can possibly build a whole entire college basketball career, uh, you, you know, in in the future? I think there is. There's always the possibility. Ninety plus percent of the guys we're talking about, like we said, they're they're probably going to play. A role, but there are opportunities where you know this really turns into the best of the best situation, 
and you know these guys are are really starring and, and succeeding um in their new role i mean again i guess i'll I'll jump back maybe as an example um of that i mean matt mooney just because it, you know on the biggest stage um a guy formerly at south dakota and air force you know he comes to texas tech for his quote unquote senior year mm-hmm. and has you know a stupendous run on the way to the national title game i mean i think that's that shows that it can be done um and then if you're talking to guys specifically too that we're not just talking one year we're talking maybe um two years or so you know that just that's all the more time for them to adapt to that level of basketball and you know you know who knows sometimes you, you know you play better when you're playing when you're playing against that better competition you're forced to be better so um, I think there's definitely, you know, it's not like a guys can't step into this role and become a star. Yeah, for sure. And, and believe me on that. I, I didn't prep that question. I threw that out, <laughs> out to you. So uh, definitely my fault on that one. Uh, but you bring up, no, you're good. you bring up a great, great point about Mooney. And, and also you can look at uh, Brandon Clark as well. Brandon Clark started off at uh, San Jose State. And if he went to Gonzaga, he might never been a, a top 10 pick. So this is something huge, too. And, and Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson was a great shooter at Pittsburgh, but he needed to go to that blue blood to really get eyes on him was a fantastic shooter at UNC and most likely is now going to build himself into a first-round pick. Um, overall, I, I don't know if there's any changes that I think could be made to recruiting, Matt, uh, that, that I think would really benefit the program uh, or, or benefit the players, really, because um, ultimately I, I don't really want to see these guys stick around for like six years. Uh, you know, four to five, I understand, especially if, if an injury happens. Um, but But... I think that maybe the only thing that I would say is like, don't make them sit out a year because if I transfer a school to a school from, you know, I start off at one school and then go to another school. Um, I don't have to sit out a year of classes. You know, I could still go to class and still be a student. I really don't understand why they have to sit out a whole year. And maybe that would be the only change that I I think, you know, could be made to hold the whole recruiting process, but I'd love to know what you think. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I think, <laughs> I guess I, I get it in a sense that it's supposed to be, I, I don't know, a, a punishment of sorts that you, you know, didn't originally go with this school or, you know, they weren't looking at you, whatever the case may be. I, I, yeah, I, I guess I don't know that I get that. And like, you know, I, to me, a big part of it, too, it, it still comes down to, you know, it, it needs to be somewhat centered around the academic um, achievement of this particular athlete. You know, they're student athletes, and we need to be promoting the fact that, you know, whether or not that they're they're hoping to be the NBA, that they need to, the degree needs to be important. And I think, I guess that's what they're maybe trying to promote, with in the sense that their the graduate transfers can can graduate, and then they don't have to sit out that year. But, um, so I I don't know. I, I guess yeah. I don't know enough about it to know if that's the reason why the thought is that okay, they, they didn't finish their degree and now they need the time to kind of make it up. I don't know, mm-hmm. but I, I think there's definitely workarounds, right? There's, there's probably um, class equivalents that will transfer over or whatever, so they're not like that far behind. I don't know, but I, I agree. I mean, I think that can be reevaluated and it probably should be. Um, but, but overall, I think across the board, I think it's advantageous for the athletes. I think it's definitely advantageous for coaches who are, you know, within a few days here, find out surprisingly someone's going to the NBA that they didn't plan for. Now they're scrambling to get someone, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a pool of people that they can get, you know, turned to right away. So I, I think 
across the board, it, it works. It works pretty well. Yeah, I think it's a nice reward for them for, you know, you finish, you get your degree and there's no penalty for continuing on with your uh, playing career. So mm-hmm. I think that it's it's kind of a nice thing. Uh, the one guy that I didn't get a chance to mention earlier, uh, Edmund Gilder, uh, was an A&M guy, had a blood clot situation in his arm, which is scary as all hell. Uh, but he did get cleared and he's leaving A&M to go play for Gonzaga which is awesome because they get a defensive point guard who shot pretty well uh, when he last played, uh, four times a game from three, 39%. He is a good guard, good shooter. Uh, I think, yeah, 50% from two, four, uh, 39% from three. So, like, he is a good shooter, and I think that's honestly, like, I it's Gonzaga. They're going to reload again. Like you mentioned, they're losing a couple guys this year to the NBA draft. And they're going to be right back in it. So I think that's that's one of the nicer things is, yes, he's graduating with his degree, but at the same time, now he's going to go play for Gonzaga because I, I have a feeling like him and Buzz, uh, A&M's coach, our new coach, aren't going to get along so great. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to just room myself and go over and play for Gonzaga and get a chance at winning another championship. For sure. And and, and Matt, uh, final thoughts and, and any other guys that uh, you want to bring up, like, uh, you know, Dave bringing up Admon Gilder, uh, any guys that you want to talk about or maybe even the guy that uh, your, your Purdue Boilermakers got? Sure. So, yeah, so I guess we were talking beforehand, but the guy Purdue got, so his name's Jihad Proctor. He's from High Point, um, averaged 19 and a half points there. But I guess the real reason they, they sought him was because he was a shooting guard and they needed to replace um, Carson Edwards, who they've known was was going to be leaving, he he hired an agent was going to be staying in the NBA draft, which no one can blame him. He did everything he could to, to will Purdue to a Final Four, but alas, a crazy play and Diakite didn't let that happen. Um, but yeah, so they they needed they they needed to replace a lot of volume in terms of what Carson Edwards did. So they got Proctor, who you know he's not going to score 19 points a game for Purdue. That's that's a known, but at least he's got. Um, a presence in, you know, scoring ability that he can maybe step in and give you 10 points or so a game. Um, I guess one other name I'll, I'll point out just because I'm familiar with him is Isaiah Moss from Iowa. Mm-hmm. I, I actually didn't know that he was um, in this pool, but looks like he's committed to Arkansas. But he, he looked um, like he was really kind of um, solidifying into his role at Iowa this year and like he was going to be um, turning into – I won't call him a star, but but a very good, high quality starter. So um, I think Arkansas is definitely getting a good um, a good guy there. He only averaged nine points a game, but shooting 42% from three. Um, you know, it, and playing in what I would argue top to bottom was probably the best league um, in the in the NCAA this year. Not the best doesn't have the best teams but just top to bottom was the the best i'd say mm-hmm. and obviously it's good for your purdue boilermakers that i was losing talent so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank goodness go yeah. away good, good good thing you uh good that's a, probably a welcome surprise that you saw that uh, dave any final thoughts about transfers i think we covered everything no i feel like we did a we did a fair job it's like you want to give credit to the kids you want to give credit to the schools who may or may not you know lose out on their guys they've built up over the years but at the end of the day like i think it's a win for college basketball and even football is it, it's kind of wild carded a lot of situations where recruiting classes or injuries come up and it's like hey doors open boys mm-hmm. 
All right, Matt, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, it was absolutely fun talking about grad transfers and transfers in general with you. If you guys want to be like Matt, check out patreon.com slash podcast. You can come onto a podcast, pick your topic, and talk about it with us and broadcast it to the thousands that uh, listen to MVP podcasts on a, on a daily basis. So we want to thank Matt for supporting us. But let's jump into the next topic. And we want to, again, thank Matt so much for joining us about the college grad transfers. That's a little bit out of our, our, of our zone, but Matt knows a ton. And I I would have loved to hear him and Ricky, but Ricky had to take a break that we demanded he take. Um, but uh, Matt was absolutely fun to have on. If you want to be on a podcast, check out patreon.com slash podcast. But Dave, let's jump into our big board. This is the 6.0? 5.0? 5. 5.0. Uh, this is our 5.0. Yes, this is 5.0. On, on, I should just look at the Google spreadsheet. Uh, yeah. Our 5.0. Uh, this is my first time doing it. So if it sucks, blame me. Uh, but we're going to go in order of... You're going we're to gonna read go, Ricky. We're going to go mock draft order. All right. Yeah. I think Ricky usually goes last for these. He but does. Ricky's not here. So, so you, I'm yeah. going to go last. Yep. I'll read Ricky's, and Dave will read his, and then I'll read mine. And we also want to say in the one through five range, we're going to do a cumulative one where we go 25 through one, where we gave all these guys points on where they landed, and we'll give you our the MVP big board as well. So it's going to be it's going to be fun. Definitely check that out in the one through five segment. Right now, we're doing 25 through 16 only. As Dave yawns, as I put him to sleep. Thanks. Um, let's it's the rain, dude. It is just, it's been raining outside so long. It's just kind of got that nice, you know, easy going feel. Well, hopefully you wake up. Uh, let's start with Ricky's <laughs> 25 through 16. Starting off at 25, we have Luka Samanich. Uh, at 24, we have Cam Johnson from UNC. 23, we have Talon Horton Tucker from Iowa State. 22, we have Casey Akpala from Stanford. At 21, we have Jackson Hayes from Texas. 20, Lewis King from Oregon. 19, P.J. Washington from Kentucky. 18, Tyler Hero from Kentucky. And 17, Nikhil Alexander-Walker from Virginia Tech. And rounding out his 25 through 16 is Romeo Langford out of Indiana. That's pretty good. Pr- pretty good job of reading Ricky Singh. You even got talent right. I knew you were going to bring it up. That was the only thing I was like, is he going to do it? Is he going to say his name right? Just wait until mine. I'll just fuck it up. <laughs> All right. So for my 25 through... 16. I start off with uh, Lucas Samanich as well at 25. At 24, I've got Keldon Johnson from Kentucky. At 23, I've got Darius Basley making his first appearance on a big board for myself. Shout out New Balance. Uh, shout out to New Balance right there. I told you guys I wouldn't put him on until I got to watch him play. Got to watch him play a little bit. Um, at 23, I'm bad at counting now. 22, I've got Talon Horton Tucker from Iowa State. At 21, I've got Tyler Hero from Kentucky. At 20, I've got P.J. Washington, also from Kentucky. There's a theme there. Uh, at 19, I've got Nikhil Alexander-Walker from Dave? Virginia Tech. I'm not going to tell you it's a secret. They're blue boys. <laughs> at 18, I've got Jackson Hayes, the center from Texas. At 17, I've got Goga Pataste playing internationally for a team that Sean can't pronounce correctly, and neither can I. Did someone cor- to correct me? I just feel like we always say it wrong. So I, I just I'm gave gonna be up honest. On it. I, no one corrected me, so I think I nailed it on the. Um, oh, exactly. Well, that's I, awesome. I don't think right. I don't think I screwed up. And then at 16, I've got Casey Akpala out of Stanford. Shout out Goga Batazde playing for Mega Burmax. Burmax. Yeah, that's why I was like, is it Burmax or like I don't know how to emphasize words in Europe. Apparently, not my in, language. In Europe, Europe, just all of Europe. Europe is not your language. Well, the problem is there's multiple languages in Europe in use. Of course, and that is sort of where I get screwed. A thousand countries. There's there's a handful of countries. There's English. There's Spanish. There's French. There's German. There's Portuguese. Italian. 
is Italian language? Or do they just speak massively? <laughs> do they just speak a lot of English there? <laughs> they There's just Gaelic. speak with their hands. There's Gaelic. <laughs> There's uh, y- Yiddish, I think. There's the, Polish. I was going to say, Polish. you have to go for all of the... Uh, Swedish. Your, yeah. Norwegian. Yep. All right. This it. is a great... This is just top quality big board material. Here's my 25. <laughs> Can we big board... European languages. Ooh, yes, that would be that. That might be a Patreon content. Uh, content. That's good. <laughs> we can write that down. Uh, let's go to my twenty-five through uh, sixteen before everyone turns off. Uh, my twenty-five. I got Taylor Horton Tucker from Iowa State. Why? You said his name right the first time. What did I say? Oh, Talon, shit. Talon Horton Tucker from Iowa State. At 24, we have Lucas Samanich uh, playing internationally. 23, we have Keldon Johnson out of Kentucky. 22, we have Rui Hachimura from Gonzaga. 21, we have my boy Nas Reed from LSU. At 20, I have Brandon Clark from Gonzaga. I did this immediately after the combine. I was like, those his his size, way down. He, I'm higher on him now. Uh, at 19, Tyler Hero from Kentucky. 18, I have Nikki Alexander-Walker from Virginia Tech. 17, I have Nasir Little from UNC. And 17, or 16, rounding out, I have Jackson Hayes from Texas. So we have a couple guys we're going to talk about on this one. We're going to talk about Luca, KZ, and Jackson Hayes. Those are the three big ones that we'll talk about and probably go into some discussions on some of the other guys as well. But we're going to hit those big three first. And let's start off with our boy Luca. Luca S, not Luca D. Let's talk about his performance at the Combine because it was pretty impressive. And, and, and I think he was kind of on the edge of first round, second rounder. And I think he put himself in, at least in first round talent yeah. at what he did with the combine. He might not go in the first round, but he definitely showed that he has four, first round borderline potential and four, first line, first round value, I think, with, with what he did at the combine. Yeah, no, we got to see him create his own shot. We got to see him uh, play make a little bit. Some of the passing was, uh, I would say, probably average to maybe even above average for a guy of his size and position. Um, not all of it kind of came through. I think there's a lot of Whenever you get five on five drills, you're not going to have that cohesiveness because these guys this is their first time playing together. But I think he he made smart decisions a lot of the time. Uh, defensively, he was able to guard multi, you know a couple positions. He did get blown past once or twice, but like at the same time, I don't expect him to be able to keep up with the quicker guards. You know, like someone like a Jordan Bone who is like insanely quick mm-hmm. and is going to beat anybody off the floor. Um, but no, I think, yeah, this was the perfect opportunity for him to come over and make a statement because you got to see him going up against some of the, uh, mid tier college guys and he held his own and showed up really well. So kudos to him. This was probably the best possible outcome of the combine for him. And I think I agree with you as far as his first round, uh, talent and value is there. I think a team likely will maybe come. I could see a team come up for him um really potentially yeah because i think he might be one of those uh favorite draft and stash kind of guys like high value i don't know if he's gonna come over right away but Mm -hmm. i I think that a team like the celtics maybe uh because they have three picks in the first round with their last pick of that first round grouping maybe could go with him or could see another team maybe moving you know back or up for him i just think that like i don't know the teams in the 20 through 30 section really want him but I could see a team kind of jumping up to uh, secure his rights. Now, one thing I want to ask you is, because they're somewhat similar play- players, what do, what, or at least, what does some, uh, Samanich have over uh, Iggy's Bredis, Bred, Bred, Iggy Brazdikis from Michigan? What are the, the comparisons that you could see? What are the things that kind of separate Luka in your mind? Uh, I think it comes down to rolling an offense. 
Uh, Iggy at Michigan, we got to watch him play a lot uh, as opposed to Luca, where obviously the game tape on him much less available. So what you do see might be what you want, what he wants you to see, which turns out in his favor a lot of time when you get the full game logs. Though, um, look, I think it's Iggy is going. I, I don't see him being more than like a seventh man on the bench, you know, kind of guy. He he can come in, he can take you know four shots, five shots a game, and contribute at that level. But he's he has such a he has such a long way to grow as far as his basketball IQ is like skill wise, he's got an okay shot. I think actually he has a weird amount of like tenacity when he drives with the ball, uh, which is kind of fun. But I think Luca just has more of a well-rounded principled game. And I think that comes from playing in Europe. And that's you, you hear about like, it's, it's been memed to death at this point, I feel, but you get down to the basics of basketball. You play team basketball. Everyone contributes. Everybody does everything. You really work on the finer points of passing, shooting, uh, and teamwork. And Luca has a lot of that in spades. I think his basketball IQ is ahead of his age. So he's a guy where, yes, you might want you know to him to sit over for a year, maybe contract-wise, uh, before coming over. But at the same time, I think he could come in and be a bench guy for a couple of years. And hopefully mold into you know someone in the mm-hmm. line of like Dario has where yeah. uh, or even uh, Nico. Mm-hmm. Nico was a much better player in Europe at the time when he was drafted by the Bulls yeah. and when he came over. Well, Nico was playing in a, a much better, better league, league as yeah. well. Um, and I think one thing too is the the thing that at least separates them from for me is is size. I think you know Iggy might end up being like a three four, where I think Lucas shows that he's more of a four. The yeah. guy that really compares, I think that he compares to a little bit is is a smaller um, Isaiah Hartenstein. Uh, oh, okay. They show a lot of tenacity as well. They both can stretch the floor a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Luca much more than 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 Isaiah can. Uh, but at least watching a couple of the combine things, I, I saw a, a bit of that stick out to me. And Hartenstein has dominated the G League, like absolutely dominated the I G League. I love Hartenstein for the Rockets. Yeah. I just want him to get a shot, and, and, <laughs> and I, I would love to see what he can do with it. And at least comparing, uh, going back to Verstikas versus uh, Samanich, uh, Iggy came in at six seven and a quarter. Uh, height-wise, with a six-nine and a quarter wingspan and an eight-six reach, where Luca came in with six-eleven uh, with shoes and an eight-eleven yeah. reach and a six-ten and a half wingspan. So he has more size on him, at least height-wise, but he doesn't have the best wingspan, right? Um, w- w- at least for, uh, for 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 Luca. And then you compare the at least the the skill tests, um, and, and let's at least start with the vert. Because um, that's always really what people care about. Those are the eye popping things. Luca had a thirty eight vert, vert, which was crazy uh, for me. And then you look at uh, Iggy, and Iggy only had a thirty six and a half. And you watch Iggy, at least in Michigan, there's a lot of times where he really explodes exactly. as an athlete. And, and now you're just kind of questioning, like, well, then how good is Luca really? Because right? if he can fine tune all of that stuff with the size and, and and the leaping abilities, how good of a player can he be? And that's the thing that really excites me about about Luca. Yeah, I think he's got a couple tools to the game, too, which helps him because he's not just that, like, I'm going to stand in the corner and shoot threes for you, stretch four. I think there is the ability for him to work as a uh, passing out of the mid post range and being a facilitator. He's able to do multiple things. He can set up plays. He can do handoffs like he's not purely just a stretch four from that mm-hmm. point of view. So the fact that he has those extra abilities definitely brings his viability forward where like you said Iggy you know yes he can drive with the ball at times but for the most part like he still has a lot of game to grow the cool thing too about Luca is he was one of the fastest players at least in the shuttle run 
Uh, he had a 303, which is in line with Jalen Hands, a point guard, and <laughs> Kevin Porter Jr., who we talk about being one of the best athletes in this in this class. That's insane. Uh, lined up with, with with Kevin Porter Jr., which was which was crazy. And and Iggy came in at like a 3.17, which is still close. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're you're really cutting hair. That's a the point fourteen difference uh, there. And then you look at the uh, shuttle run as well. Uh, Iggy ran an eleven point oh one, or sorry, eleven point oh six, and Luca beat him by. Uh, 0.05. Yeah. So Luca showed that he was a better athlete, and and, yep. and you watch again Iggy's ability on the floor of Michigan, and you saw that he could really play against you know college level type of competition. You just wonder if Luca had the same coaching that Iggy had, and he, he was in the same offense, what he could possibly do. So yeah. that was it's intriguing, absolutely exciting. So that's why he jumped up on on our boards. Um, let's move now to Casey Akpala, another guy who was fantastic at the combine, at least when it came to his measurables. I mean, Jesus Christ, you look at this kid, and we talked about his rawness and his, his growth spurt uh, throughout his uh, career from high school to mm-hmm. college. And you come see him, and he comes in at six nine and a half in shoes with a seven uh, one and uh, three quarters of an, uh, a wingspan with an eight ten and a half uh, reach. I was absolutely pumped when I saw those numbers. <laughs> this kid is long. This kid is uh, lengthy. And he's got playmaking ability. He's got the ability to score. And that's what he has over guys like Chris Wilkes. Um, he has that size, yeah. which is very, very intriguing. Dave, you love KZ. Talk about what his combine kind of did for you and, and, and what it did for your big board. No, I mean, he absolutely... Like, Here's the funny thing, because if you look 4.0 to 5.0... Uh... He was at 22 for me in the four, and on the five, he's at 16. 16. So pretty big jump for me. And again, the the thing with KZ that really kills me. For me, me, it was 25 to 16, or 25 to 15. Yeah. So it was a 10-spot 10, 10 jump for me. It's insane. And we knew he was big. I didn't know he was that big. That's mm-hmm. the crazy thing. And he kept his, he's got amazing size. He's got great strides on the floor. You watch him in the open court. Whenever they get a fast break situation, he has one thing on his mind, and it's not going to take him many steps to get there. Honestly, the thing that I go back to is like, okay, he's going to be good. It's how good is he going to be? How well can he continue to develop his shot from the outside? Because that will that will change him from being like a good slashing wing to now like he's a do it all wing and that is that is the ideal situation you're someone who can stretch the floor he can ball handle already like he grew up playing point guard and those handles are excellent still Uh, maybe not excellent is wrong word they're above average uh definitely for his position and his size so i i absolutely love him as a prospect i think that as he comes along he is oozing with potential and i've got i've got a lot of teams that are like I'm hearing rumors out there. Of course, you got to read through all the all the propaganda out there. But yeah. there's a lot of teams that are like, I could see him going. You know, last spot of the lottery, last two spots of the lottery. There's mm-hmm. intriguing teams that are looking for someone who has the upside, like he can provide. Well, I mean, Jesus Christ, just think of the Celtics. I mean, yeah. they they love their wings, and that's a guy that you can just build up. Yeah, um, that'd be absolutely exciting to, to see what he can do. And you you read about you know the Semi Ojale stuff, where Semi's like always working out consistently, and you just yeah, wonder. Yeah, Semi's like, a brick shit house well, already. Well, you, if you wonder if if if, uh, if Semi gets in the weight room with KZ Akpala and, and, and build, uh, builds up KZ, Jeez. like man, that would be scary. Yeah, uh, and, and that's one thing too that you look at his athletic testing, and it wasn't eye popping. It wasn't horrible. Like, it wasn't Nasir Little bad. Yeah. You know Nasir Little's a great athlete, and he just runs, like, horrible times and tests out horribly. So you really question that. He was kind of just middle of the pack there. But the one thing that was exciting to me was he's got, like, a 4% body fat, 
but he did like nine bench reps. And that wasn't, you know, it's nothing crazy. It's it's nothing, you know, double digits. And there was multiple guys in, the, in double digits. But it does kind of make fun of the whole Kevin Durant, yeah. you know. But that was one less than Brandon Clark. And that was, uh, you know, a little bit better than guys like uh, Luca or guys, um, you know, like Nasir Little. That's something that's really exciting to me because this guy has so much room to grow. Yeah. And he already seems like he's got de- decent strength. And yep. I don't really know what a bench press is going to do for you in, in the NBA. Like, oh, sick, you can push off a guy. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's intriguing just to see the potential that his body has to grow still. And we talked about the growth spurt. We talked about the handles, but also just physically getting bigger. Yeah. And if he's able to put on you know, uh, mass as well, and, and he's able to have this innate strength and also build on that, that is extremely, extremely intriguing to me. And and, and the basketball skills definitely need some polishing. They definitely need some time. And he's not going to be a guy that steps in right away and starts at all. But he's a guy that, you know, if a team does really fall in love with him at a workout and they see a smooth stroke and they see his ability to, uh, you know, a quick first step and they see, you know, great vision uh, on tape, I could see him, you know, becoming a lottery pick. And that's why I'm having have him at 15, just outside the lottery. But maybe Miami falls in love with him and, and, and they end up taking him at, at 13. Maybe Charlotte falls in love with him. Not really sure how he fits with those teams, but if they fall in love with the potential and they think they can develop him, yeah. he might be a guy that, that, that pops off into the, uh, the, the, the lottery. Yeah. Would not hearing rumors shocked. about like the jazz and mm-hmm. uh, who's right after them. But yeah, there's in uh, that Celtics at 23, I think. Yeah. So you've got or the, no, it's the, it's the Sixers. So yeah. the jazz are picking 23 uh, Sixers at 24. You've got a lot of teams in that just post lottery range that are intrigued by him. And again, like he's got a good shot. The question is, you know, the free throw percentage in college, mm-hmm. 67% both years. So you got to wonder like, all right, can we can we work with him to get that up? Because that's generally below the like everybody wants to be like, well, if you're below 70 in college, you're not going to be a great cheer in the NBA. Yeah, he did shoot 36% from three on three attempts a game. A lot of the, not a lot. I would say a good percentage of those shots were wide open threes uh, due to the Stanford offense ball movement on there. Pretty good. But Again, you're getting this guy because he can grow into a three-pointer. He can do that. But what he can do for you right now is he puts the ball on the court. He drives. He's got a good spin move coming off the drive. He gets people going. Jab step works well. So I think offensively, gifted defensively, you've got that insane wingspan, decent vert. So he's got the tools. It's just like how well can you work with a guy who has that level of potential, you know? Yeah, and I think the biggest thing with him is just going to a team that can develop him yeah. um and, and again I, I think you're right he's not going to be a guy that immediately comes in and makes an impact he's going to yeah. be you need to need to be a guy that has some time to grow but then we look at him and he's only 20 years old and and he just turned 20 he's a fresh 20 uh turned that april 28th so you you have a long time for him to grow um and become the player that you initially want him to but you know, I, th- I think that some things can be fixed, too. It, it seems like he has kind of a, a wide shot, at least uh, when he's holding the ball above his head. Um, it seems like he can kind of tighten that elbow in a little bit. And yeah. maybe he becomes you know more of an efficient shooter, especially from the line. Um, but if you can work on that stuff and you can you can build that up, I mean, he's going to be extremely, extremely interesting because of that body. Let's move to the final guy. And we're, again, we're talking about potential here. Jackson Hayes. Um, nothing really stood out too much from the combine for me. Um, but at least Hayes, he's a guy that is so raw and the biggest reason why he's not higher for me is just because that production wasn't there kz not that great of a shooter we mentioned you mentioned the under seven percent but he obviously had you know decent numbers at least from three and and the rawness there i think that you know being that size 
and showing enough handles it's at the that willingness size. too yeah it, that that's the stuff that I, I really like but jackson hayes it's like does he have that big man drive to be great and you look at the rebound rate you look at the lack of it really that stands out to me as yeah what are you doing there do you not know how to rebound where rebounds just not coming towards you where you're just like in the wrong spot or is it something where you just don't have that next level to chase after every single board? Because being a big man that big and being under eight rebounds a game, that's extremely worrying to me. That was something that was worried worrying me about uh, good old uh, who Justin Patton from Creighton. Uh, and that was the reason why I like Jared Allen above him was because Allen was a guy that was going after every single ball. He was showing that tenacity both defensively and on the boards where we kind of saw it with Hayes, at least block-wise. He was, yeah. he, was, he, was, he was protecting the rim, but we didn't see it rebounding-wise. And, and that's something that worries me as a defensive big. You're going to need to be able to do both. And maybe it was just something that it really didn't pop off in the limited minutes he got in Texas. But that's something that worries me is, can he develop and show that next level what's inside of you to really become a great NBA center? Yeah, no, I agree. And that's, you know, you were pretty much right on with your... 4.0 mine he dropped uh from 13 to 18 ricky he dropped three spots as well so i think we were all kind of like all right what we've seen out of you is pretty much what we got all year you didn't put on any like amount of muscle mass really since uh the season ended it didn't look like you you know i'm sure you kept in shape everybody had insanely low body fat percentages by the way except your boy nas i don't know what you're talking about um but like I feel like he's one of those guys who really will benefit from strength and conditioning coaches at the NBA level. Like he's someone who, you know, I'm not saying he's gonna have a Joel Embiid like trans transformation, but you know, twenty pounds of muscle on him would yeah. go a long, long way. And I think that's the thing, is like you have to look at him as a like you said, he's a he's a rawer prospect, but at the same time, rim running elite defensive center potential like that's a guy who could be a staple at your five for years yeah then i look at him and some people are going to call me a hypocrite i think because i'm worried about bull bull being 208 um and being a center but and, and then you're like well jackson hayes is only 10 pounds heavier yeah I, I i look at that and the thing that really stands out to me is jackson hayes's weight is much more distributedly even and He's a guy as well that has such a low body fat percentage where, you know, the moment he adds on muscle, because it's going to be easier for him to add on muscle with his body fat being so low. Mm -hmm. Second, he gets into an NBA weight room. He's going to be able to gain like 20 pounds. He he can get up to 230, I think, fairly easy. Um, Where Bull Bull, you're going to need to have weight on him just in general. He doesn't have that. He already has a high body fat percentage. You don't know if he can do that much cardio to cut down that fat well, hey, and then hey, add on that weight. Can we say that with an asterisk because he might have a higher body fat percentage because of the fact he couldn't work out okay. as much because of his injury? And yes, that's fair. Thank you. But also, toss up. But, but also what? It was a three to four month injury that happened in November? He had been wearing the walking boot for a long time, to be fair. Okay, but but when, when, did, when, do, when do we think he could have started working out? I don't, I'm not. I'm not going to guess at medicals. That that okay. it's a losing game, as we learned with Markel Fultz. Like it's, it's true, but but <laughs> I, I I worry so much about his ability, especially I understand. With, especially with his lineage, yeah. where I don't have that worry with Jackson Hayes because we don't have that baseline. Right. We don't have that baseline of Manu Bolt being in the NBA and not being able to add a single pound. That's the thing that worries me about Ball Ball, where Jackson Hayes. It wasn't great what yeah. we saw, but hey, you still got a seven three and, and a half wingspan. 
that's awesome. Yep. Uh, nine and two, uh, nine, nine feet and two inches, two two and a half inches uh, of a standing, standing range. Yep. Awesome there as well. Um, you know, nothing elite like Bo Bo, um, but you're at least seeing the, the a young, a very young mm-hmm. center with a lot of body potential. And then I just worry, you know, now is he just young, and that's why he didn't perform as much as we liked in college? Or is and, there a motor? And, and is there a motor issue? And and that's the the, the real questions that I, I want to see nailed down from Jackson Hayes. And I think we're going to see really what those answers are coming out more. Once we start hitting that second week of June, we're going to start seeing a lot of the reports come out from private workouts and all this stuff. And then you just want to start looking at all these NBA mock drafts, especially the guys that are really connected, like the Draft Express guys. What are they saying about Jackson Hayes? Is he rising or is he falling? And if he's rising, I think that's just going to be because he's really impressing in, 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 um, in uh, private workouts and private workouts and interviews. Yeah. So maybe they're going to be able to see that motor and maybe we're going to see, you know, some great things come out from Shaka Smart about Jackson Hayes and the work that he can put into. I think they're going to learn more about Jackson Hayes and the more that they learn about it, the more we'll learn about it. And the more we'll get at least have a background of what he really is makeup wise. Yeah. If he starts to fall, that's going to be a huge concern to me. If he's if he falls out of the lottery. That's going to be a concern to me. I mean, to be I, fair, I that, a lot of us had him as a as a stretch, basically just slapping him right on the Hawks. Like, mm-hmm. look, Hawks, you need a center. He's the best center on everyone's board. Go ahead, you're going to reach on a guy, you know, who who fit is a positional need for you. And we got we even heard the feedback on ours. It's like, look, man, he's not that good. He's just you know a lot of a couple people were like, look, he's just another guy at center. Like, you can go get a veteran center to do basically what he's going to do for you for a couple of years. So is he worth that high of a pick in this year's draft? Uh, and I think that's a valid question. So it's going to be interesting, like you said, come private workouts and what comes out of those. Yeah, and and, and he's, again, like you, you're right about at least slapping on a guy uh, and slapping yeah. on things. I feel bad because it, 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 it was almost, it wasn't lazy on our part, but it mm-hmm. was just the clear need of a but team. But if we look at the, the our big boards right now, yep, right, um, at least for you, um, what the, oh, this is 4.0, my bad. Um, I'm looking at this. I was looking at the wrong one. Um, if we look at, you know, my big board right now, yep. the, I have two centers above him, uh, Goga and Bobo. If I'm a lottery team, I'm not going after Bobo. Although I think Bobo is that talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that he is definitely worth, you know, the, the, the ranking I gave him in my, my, my big board. He's extremely talented. I just have so many outside worries of his talent. Right. So that's why I think that if you're a team like the Hawks, they're trying to get a guy that can help you for sure because I think this is going to be a playoff team soon in the next three years. Um, I would rather have a guy that's going to be playing for me than a guy that might be just an iffy wishy wash, you know, game to game basis. Um, where you know maybe teams don't like Goga's you know workouts where you know Jackson Hayes could rise up yeah. above them. He, he I, with the center position so finicky where you know Jackson Hayes is younger than Goga, so that's going to give him an edge. Um, he doesn't have to worry about coming over internationally and he has the speed over, over Goga. So if they're thinking in that, Hey, let's just yeah. add on the size and the motor's going to be there. I wouldn't be crazy. I wouldn't be shocked if, if Jackson Hayes goes in, in the lottery. That's right. the thing. But if we see two centers go above him, then I'm going to be really concerned about what, what, it, what he really is. Yeah. I'd be pretty shocked. And even I, I finally gave and I swapped, uh, Goga just one spot above Jackson Hayes on my board. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, yes, part of it might be a byproduct of sitting across from you week after week, hearing your rants about this Goga guy. Um, but at the same time, like, he has a complete game. And that's, like, uh, you watch him, he has a decent motor. He's playing against, you know, grown-ass men, doing his thing, and succeeding at a high level. So 
And we've seen guys out of that same league come over at the center position and play pretty well at the NBA. So, you know, it, it's less of a question mark at this point. It's more of a, like, what are you looking for for your prototypical center? Are you looking for a do-it-all? Are you looking for a guy who is a rim-running defensive SWAT machine? Like, what is... Or are you looking for a stretch five, you know? Mm-hmm. You have your options, but there's it is a thin class at center. And I know there after that, you're left with, you know... Some older prospects who, or uh, some ones with even bigger question marks, like a Charles Bassey or a Daniel sure. Gafford. Yeah, I, I think that's the the thing is like Gafford is is similar, the most similar to Hayes, and the reason why Hayes is above him is because of the age. But if we're talking strictly skill, Gafford is more skilled than him. But if we're talking real ranking guys, taking in talent, taking in potential, that's why Hayes is up here. Yeah, um, Gafford, you don't have to worry about adding weight. He's he's already pretty he's solid good size, where he is. Yep. Um, very similar size just in general too. Um, coming in around seven, six, eleven. Um, both guys rim runners, speedy guys. So yep. I mean, really, it just comes down to that age and then the 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 ability of you know maybe Jackson Hayes can can end up you know developing a little bit more. I'm gonna um, Gafford. Uh, that that Gafford decision still bugs me at the end of the day. That he's going that he, back to yeah, college. It was yeah. stupid. Um, because he would be in the same position that Jackson Hayes was just last year. Yep. Um, final thoughts. Uh, any guys that we didn't talk about that you just want to throw out there? Uh, as always, Ricky's got Lewis King mm-hmm. in his section. Just stay forgot that name about on. him first. Oh, did he? Yeah, he forgot. That's why we were waiting on him. Remember, uh, he forgot about it. He uh, had a yeah. our, our our boy uh, Taco Fall at twenty five. He did. He had Taco Fall at twenty five. Uh, Darius Baisley for me is my guy uh, that I finally gave credit to because what's the base thing he needs to work on? I mean, well, I got to watch him play against something you? other than chairs. Yeah. You know? So what impressed you at least, or or was it just seeing it's him his, in general? His his ball handling and the ability to pass, like that's that was the thing. He was always known as a ball handling wing, and it was like, okay, cool. We I've seen those right now. You know, you're looking mm-hmm. at someone even at the top of the draft with like an R.J. Barrett. Like he he's able to ball handle. He's able to uh, facilitate. He can score. With Darius, the question is like his shot. How much different did it look? You know, from his high school tape to the shooting, uh, it looks like he tweaked it quite a bit, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hoping for the better. It, I think a lot with him is just going to come down to those team workouts because, I mean, if you've had a year to work in a company like New Balance, I'm assuming they've thrown, you know, a bunch of scouts and guys talking to him, coaches, business people to go, hey, yep. this is how you interview. This is how you do this. This is how, like, he should be the most prepared for these private workouts, which makes me think that he's probably going to be one of the highest risers towards this last month of the draft wrap up. The one thing too would be, I'm, I'm interested to see how people will start to compare, especially us, Baisley to Akpala. Because Baisley is younger, both longer, like six, nine wings that have ball handling abilities. So what's going to be the real deciding factor at the end of the day? I think I just want to see more out of Basley to put him into my big board. He was at like 26, 27, so it wasn't really that too too far yeah. off. But I just wanted to see a little bit more from him. But he's a guy that, I mean, you're looking at him. He was a five-star recruit, did not go to college. This could be a guy that is just so absolutely raw that you could build up. We're going to talk Mitchell Robinson here? Yeah, I mean, he could be a guy that, you know, we just, you know, people totally sleep on because you didn't see him enough out of him. And he could be a guy that, you know, 
five years from now is is one of the better players from this draft, and we just slept on him because we didn't play in college. Yeah. So he's going to be a very interesting prospect. Um, and the only reason why I brought up final thoughts is just so I could talk about Nasreed. I um, figured that was. I don't give a shit about what you say about. Well, that's, I'm giving Darius everybody. Basley. Look, we know it's Ricky does Lewis King. <laughs> I do Basley. You do Nasreed. We've all got our guys in that last section who we want to give love to. I mean, everyone's gaining like two inches from putting shoes on, and my guy only gains an inch. So this guy doesn't care. What kind of shoes get, does he wear? Get, don't if, screw your damn six eight and you know seven fifths. This, my boy is six nine and a half. He he's he's proud of how tall he is. He's a he's a big boy. He's coming in at two fifty five. <laughs> he's he's coming with a fourteen percent body big fat. Boy, but he's a guy that come on. You're you're telling me he's got he's coming in at six nine and a half with a seven three and a quarter wingspan. Love that. And you're also talking about a guy with a smooth-ass stroke, with some speed on him, with some size on him. He's going to be a lovable guy. That's what I'm telling you. If he's got that motor and he's got... He's when got, he decides to use that motor is the biggest asterisk that I'm hey, going to toss out there, hey, Sean. Hey, hey, he's come from LSU. We look at Ben Simmons. When Ben Simmons turns that on, he's one of the best young damn players in the NBA. So that's what I'm saying with Naz Reed. Is LSU Naz Reed just is like, just basically Ben Simmons who could shoot. LSU needs like a coach in there who can just motivate kids. They need. They seriously do because it's just nobody cares apparently. That's their biggest flaw for their best players the last couple of years. Yeah. I'm going to just say it. Whatever. Uh, you're, I mean, you're not Motor wrong. concerns are there. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, I agree. Naz Reed, if he can uh, slim down a little bit on the uh, the body fat percentage there, get a little bit leaner, uh, be more active uh, in the game, you know, defensively would be nice. That he, He's more than just, you know, on the court. Uh, no, again, offensively, you killed though. Like, he is, he's got a great stroke. He can be a stretch. I think he's got the right skills offensively. It's just a question of... You know how much how much that motor questions are going to be true. Also, here's from the shooting part uh, from the break from the left break, forty uh, percent from the right break, eighty percent from the corner left, seventy five percent from the corner right, forty percent from the corner uh, top top of the key, forty percent. My guy's a forty percent three point shooter. That's what I'm telling. That's what I'm telling you. I mean, yeah, he's not going up against anybody, but who cares? Who cares, man? Uh, love it. Uh, <laughs> shout out Naz Reed. Uh, you're my guy. Um, also coming in with a cool thirty two and a half uh, vertical, which I think is mine. Um, yeah, so it's pretty god awful. Level. Love him. Uh, he also had a three bench re- uh, bench press. Which wait, he good. only had three. Yeah, he only had a three. He bench got out benched by Kaziak Paula. Let us know your thoughts down in the comments <laughs> below uh, <laughs> about Naz Reed. How how high are how you? How can you be that big without any upper body strength? He's the best player in this draft. Um, he's gonna slim down. And he's gonna add on some weight. No. And he's gonna be able to lift a car. Talon so. Horton Tucker. If you want to talk about guys who can slim down and be interesting, like that's a guy. We don't care. That guy's six two with a seven foot fucking wingspan. You said his first name. I already tuned out. Um, <laughs> shout out Naz Reed. Love you. Come on the podcast anytime you want. So after that thirty minute Naz Reed love fest, let's move into six through fifteen. Unfortunately, it will not be filled with Naz Reed, which is uh, you know a, a dismay to. All my Naz Reed lovers and myself out there shedding tears. Uh, I'm for I, you. So here's here's a fun uh, some fun news. I'm actually not going to be a part of the uh, live coverage that we have on MVP because I'm going to be at the uh, Naz Reed uh, draft party. <laughs> Did you know that <laughs> Naz Reed invited you personally? I got an invite. So oh. uh, so June twentieth, twenty third, twentieth, one of those days. I'm going to be <laughs> at the, the Naz Reed the... household. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So shout out Naz Reed. Uh, I'll see you soon, buddy. Uh, let's Tweet get through at him, our please. six through fifteen. Uh, we'll go Ricky's uh, big board, then Dave's big board, and then my big board. Next segment, we'll bring in the cumulative, where we'll go twenty-five through one on that one, where we put all of ours together and and, and rank them. Uh, but we'll go with Ricky's first, starting at fifteen. Uh, he has Nasir Little forward out of UNC at fourteen. He has Kevin Porter Jr. guard out of USC at thirteen. He has Goga or 
Gorga Batazde, as he would say, yep. from uh, International. Uh, 12, <laughs> Kobe White, guard from UNC. 11, Rui Hachimura from... Wait, sorry. Rui Hachimura. <laughs> forward out of Gonzaga. That's for Ricky. 10, Sekou Demboya, uh, forward from International. Uh, 9, Brandon Clark, forward from Gonzaga. 8, Cam Reddish, forward from Duke. 7, Darius Garland, guard from Vanderbilt. And 6, Bull Bull, center from Oregon. Say it like Ricky. Ball ball. Ball ball. <laughs> At number 15, I have Kevin Porter Jr. from USC. At 14, I've got Romeo Langford, guard from Indiana. At 13, I have Nasir Little, surprisingly on my board. Uh, forward Pretty from UNC. Too. Yeah, well, he had a good combine. Uh, at 12, yeah. I had Brandon Clark from Gonzaga. And at 11, I had his buddy, Rui Hachimura, also from Gonzaga. At 10, I had Kobe White, the guard from UNC. At 9 is a shock to some, DeAndre Hunter out of Virginia. At 8, I've got Sekou Demboya, international forward. At 7, I've got Cam Radish, forward from Duke. At 6, to run it all out, it's Bull Bull from Oregon. All right. And my 15 through 6. At 15, I have KZ Akpala from Stanford, who we talked about in our 25 through 16 segment. Check that out if you want to hear some talks about him. Uh, thir- or 14, I have uh, Kevin Porter Jr., guard from USC. At 13, I have Romeo Langford, guard from Indiana. At 12, I have P.J. Washington, forward from Kentucky. At 11, I have everyone's favorite, Bull Bull, center from Oregon. At 10, I have Kobe White, guard from UNC. At 9, I have Cam Reddish, forward from Duke. 8, I have Gogo Batazde, international center. At 7, I have Jarrett Culver, guard for... I put the Bulls. Um, I, didn't, I didn't put Texas Tech. I put the Bulls. Uh, oops. And then uh, six, I have Seiko Nemboya uh, forward from overseas. So let's jump into the couple of guys that we have. Um, you want to actually start off with something. I and mean, we talked about this a lot, uh, 25 through 16. Uh, you were saying that you're in love with these potential guys. So you're yeah. in love with Bull Bull. You're in love with Cameron Reddish. You're in love with Seiko Nemboya. Pretty much your six through eight. Uh, segment there and even you could even say uh Darius Garland too who's in who's in who's in, who's at five in your, in your next yeah. spot you're really in love with those guys and the potential that they have so let's talk a little bit about how much we might be blinded by potential because that was something that you were saying oh, absolutely you're, you're you're looking at all these guys and there's you're you're looking and you're like well there's so much room to grow what really could hold you back or, or what really pushed you forward on putting these guys so high or, or really holding some of these guys back possibly yeah, I think the big thing when it comes down to it is just the the quality of this draft class specifically. I think there are only so many top end talented guys. Sean, uh, you're doing okay over there. No, keep going. <laughs> I spilled water all over myself. <laughs> I think this is a fucking train wreck of a podcast. <laughs> Mal- fucking Rudy Gay, man. Shit. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh. I mean, Rudy Gay comp could be for camera. No. Uh, I think that, honestly, this draft class leads me to lean heavier on potential for some of these top-end guys rather than go for the known, and that is why you see other guys falling on my board. I just I think a player with as much natural skill as Bull Bull has, as much gifted athleticism as like a Sekou Demboya, someone who can play the outside wing, can score at you know, at will Cam Rush, a guy who we got to see the best out of him, not in his time at college, but his time playing at AAU and mm-hmm. in high school. There's just the upper echelon of talent is there. And I look at some of the other guys and I'm like, yeah, they're going to be good basketball players. But like when you're drafting that high in the draft, some of these years you roll the dice on these guys who have that uber upper end talent, because let's be honest, you, you're not going to build a championship team out of a bunch of B 
minus you know b to c players like that's just yeah. not how you build champions and and here's kind of where i separated these guys because because yeah. i i agree with you 100 percent and and potential is such a difficult thing to weed out it really is because you're just you you're trying to say all right this guy has everything that you want in an nba player what are the negatives and i think maybe i got bogged down in that a little bit too much and and, and i put bobo at 11 and the biggest thing about that is the size you know i, I brought up the injuries before whatever i'll write i'll write off this one for for all the bobo lovers yep. out there i'll write off this one as just an injury you know yeah. people get injured shit happens all right this one gets written off it, it, but can I, I ask you the question then yeah if he didn't get injured this year and he played out the regular season and you know say oregon goes gets eliminated in like whatever first round of the tourney i mean that's um, a sweet 16 okay so yeah say they win another game then yeah um what what would your take be? Like drop his shooting percentages by you know five it's, five percent from three for reasonable sake because I don't think he's gonna shoot fifty three percent at the end at, at an entire season's worth of value. Yeah. Um, would he be top five for you? Because I, I I find a hard time telling myself that I wouldn't take him top five hundred percent. Then the thing that I would really want to see is just how he would do against bigger guys defensively. And how he would do against you know NBA level defenders because we did not see not that many of those at all. Yeah, um, there's not many NBA level defenders oh, at the five okay. in college. Yeah, yeah, like no, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. You know, we got a six eight kid in Brandon Clark who's the big defensive <laughs> stopper. You know, you got <laughs> or uh, Zion Williamson, Zion Williamson. Six, eight biggest yeah. stopper. So like you, you got two guys who are six eight. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you could try. Yeah, I mean that's that's the biggest thing. That's one of the with, yeah. That's the biggest thing with me is I just I didn't see enough you know, difficulties that he had yeah. in college. And people will be like, well, that's because he's massively talented, which he is. He's absolutely talented. I do not want to take away how talented he is. If you have him in your top three because of his talent, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Bless your fucking heart. If you have him in your top five, bless your fucking heart. All right? I personally cannot do that. If, if you're going to get upset at it, whatever. I don't care. That's fine. Even writing off injuries. And let's say he did that exactly. Yeah. Him coming in at the combine at 208 is concerning. Because it's a completely different game, college to the NBA. Yep. Shaq could give his fucking blessing about him, but guess what? Shaq was gifted seven feet tall and like a, a, a fucking 300 pounds. It's like All if right? you stretched out Charles Barkley, that was Shaq. Yeah, and, and, and Bobo is literally like 100 pounds less than Shaquille O'Neal and does not ha- like has smaller legs than I do. I have more fat on my legs <laughs> as a 5'8", porty boy. <laughs> <laughs> then Bull Bull is going to be an NBA player. Yeah. And, and that's a concern for me. When you're going up against these guys that are going to be super physical, just look at what Nikola Jokic did to Ezus uh, uh, Cancer in the playoffs. If you're going up against him, he's going to just attack you with yeah. his body. If you're going up against Embiid, who has this crazy motor and is just always out to kill you, yeah. you're going to get run over. If you're going up against Giannis Antetokounmpo, you're going to get run over. Plain and simple. Yep. He does not have enough size on him. He needs to just him. play against soft bigs like Cat. Like Cat. <laughs> like Honestly, yeah. But but here's, the thing, but here's the thing about Cat yep. that I don't have a worry about him, and that's the reason why he's a top five center. They both are extremely gifted offensively, yeah. him and Cat. But Cat is big. Cat's seven feet tall, at least 250. Yeah. He has Cat's 50 got pounds the size on, on Bobo. Yeah. So that's the thing that worries me, is that if they're the same speed, or let's just say that, and they're the same athletes. I see more of an explosive player in Carl Anthony Towns than I do Bobo. Bobo is very long. 
and that's a huge gift to him. But he's not explosive. You're not going to see these crazy massive dunks, or you're not going to see these crazy explosive blocks from him. You're going to see him use his size and his length. But Mm -hmm. Cat is this next-level athlete to go along with this skilled offensiveness. And I I don't see that with this this skilled offensive ability. I don't see that with Bobo. Bobo is not this great athlete. He's a very long and, and a very gifted player. But I don't know if he has that athletic ability, and he definitely doesn't have the size to be be an NBA player. And hell, maybe he grows into it. But I don't have that that ability to put him above guys like Cam Reddish, where Cam Reddish didn't put it all together in college. But you can see that he's an NBA player. He's got NBA athleticism, and he's got NBA size. If Cam Reddish had the year that Bull Bull had, Cam Reddish would be top three, maybe even top two. I mean, if Cam Reddish yeah. was able to show what you know Bobo did, at least offensively, have yeah. his skills, clearly wouldn't be showing the same. His shooting percentages stuff. would be insane compared. Like he was yeah, one but, of the worst shooters by volume. But but you know, if if Cam Reddish was able to show the offensive sets or the offensive moves that Bobo yeah. does, he'd be a top two player without probably, a doubt. Probably. Um, but the thing that you know Cam Reddish has over Bobo is, is size, and obviously they're playing different positions. But I don't know if Bobo can last five years in the NBA. Yeah, because he's that thin. And I know we're going to bring up our boy Negro Damas on Twitter. Shout out to him. I love that he's always sliding in our DMs. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a huge fan of uh, LaMelo Ball, and LaMelo's looking crazy huge. Yeah, um, So shout out. He knows something about basketball. Negro Damas isn't stupid. but And he's, he's, he's in love with Bobo. I just don't think that he's going to be able to add size. And that's where that potential wanes for me. Because he okay. doesn't have that potential to become an NBA player. or the, the, A long term. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have that potential to be an NBA-sized player. Where Cam Reddish, he has that size, and it's just about putting it all together. If he's right place, right time, he might be an NBA star. Yeah, you you put him on the right coat with the right coach, the right training staff, mm-hmm. and given you know the question of like better ball in hands, is he a more of a creator? And where he was yeah. just a spot up shooter, that's the question. The thing that I worry about Cam is people might fall in love with him too much, and mm-hmm. you see the workout warrior stuff that that's coming out, uh, especially yeah. from Draft Express. There was like a fifteen minute thing, and, and uh, I think it was either Schmitz or Giovanni. Uh, was just raving about Radish's performance. Yes. And the thing that I just want to say is don't fall in love with it. It could be real. It could be the absolute truth. He could be absolutely everything that he's showing in that video. Great speed, great length, great, great dunks and everything. But he's not going up against anybody. And when you're going up against somebody with the mind of with the mindset of, of I'm going to stop you, do you have that next level motor to mm-hmm. get by them and prove them wrong and get to the bucket and score? And I don't know if Cam Reddish showed that enough in college. He didn't show that on a consistent enough basis to be a guy that was an efficient sh- shooter and scorer. And that's something that worries about me. You can be a great gifted athlete, but do you have that ability to be a great player? I don't know if that's true. It's funny because you Where, say offensively, and yet defensively, he's a guy who actually was able to get locked yeah. in on guys, and he's a great mm-hmm. wing defender. So I think that, I mean, like, if you see it on one end of the court, you want to believe that there is something there that maybe just given the situation. 100%, and that's why he's above Nasir Little. Yeah. The Nasir Little didn't show me enough yeah. out there where Cam Reddish did. did similar bodies. Uh, Cam Reddish is bigger. Um, yeah, Nasir. And, and and Cam's got an NBA skill We'll get to it later, in, yeah. In, in both defense and, and shooting from the outside. It just can Cam take all of that, turn it up, and, and, and become a full player. Yep. Because he's going to be an NBA player, without yep. a doubt. It's just what quality level player. Where then Seku, who's above Cam and Bulbul, I have him at six. I see the want to get better. He's got youth on his side he's younger than both those players and i look at his growth as well and we're seeing him growing overseas and i think that that's something he could take to the next level he seems very well grounded he seems that he knows he's got this this idea of how he can get there and i think he's got that you know 
that fight to be there. Where Cam's been, you know, top recruit. He's been at Duke. He's been yeah. he's been getting. He, well, he was placed on a pedestal since he was like fourteen. Yeah, and and Bull Bull knew he was going to be a basketball player. He's been holding the basketball since he was three years old. He comes from an NBA father. I remember watching Where a Seiki video had years to, ago about Bull Bull actually going to. Uh, yeah, he was like an eighth grader. Yeah, like Duncan he was six five. Yep. Um. Yeah. It's it, insane. He's going the, to an academy, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Bull Bull has been groomed to be a basketball player. Yep. Cam Rush has been groomed to be a basketball player. Seku kind of had to fight a little bit, and I, I love that. And I, and I think that that mindset will help him grow in the NBA. And he might not be as great of an athlete, athlete as Cam Reddish. He might not be naturally gifted with Bull Bull's length. But I think he might have that need and drive to become a great player. And that's where that potential really gets maxed out. Because it's really, you know, you can have these high ceilings, but how are you ever going to hit that? Do you have a way to hit that? Yeah. And I think Seku, if he has that drive, and I'm not making this bullshit up, and this is just something that I want to happen. If he actually has that drive, he might have the best ability out of all these three guys that we're talking about to hit that max ceiling. We always talk about that ceiling. How do you hit that? You work your ass off. And I think Seku's shown that of changing his shot, uh, of becoming a more go-to player for uh, uh, Liga Mess uh, overseas and being a guy that really is dedicating himself to basketball and making sure he's in the right place to play basketball is something that really speaks volumes to me. And he's only 18. Yeah. He's, he's, he's going to be 19 in December. He slapped his name on the board early. You know, at the under-16 game, he really, really put his name on the board. Under-18 game, did the same thing, was mm-hmm. by, best player by far in that game. And I want to say that at the NBA level, he comes in as an intriguing, you know, 3-4 prospect. Either he's an oversized 3 or he's, you know, a standard 4. And he's able to do a lot of things for you. So I agree. The work ethic looks good. You know, as far as what we're going to see out of him when he comes over, I'm super intrigued to see that. That's the biggest thing is because we've seen guys hit and miss based off of their teams. And guys like Mara Hazonia and Frank Nikilina, like both Nilekina. of those guys, Nilakina. I don't know why I added on extra, whatever. There but uh, both of those guys, I think, you know, it's it's growing pains and it, it's part of the team failing them, not understanding how to best use them. Like Mara Hazonia was weird as hell in Matt. In in Orlando, remember he he started off as a two, and then by his last year he was playing power forward for them, and that was his best spot, and that was his yeah. best play. And then you go over to his time on the Knicks, and he played every one. Uh, by the end of the year, he played one through four, mm-hmm. and his most success was as a ball handling, like you know Justice Winslow like role as the Heat used. You know it, it was having him as a primary ball handler on that team. So. I think that a lot of it is just knowing how to use the guy to get the most out of him. You know, there's a language barrier, and then there is a, like, how do we make sure this guy, and, de- you know, make sure we're doing everything to get this guy to where he needs to be. Are we giving him the opportunities? Are we giving him the right things? Frank obviously struggled because his shot, you know, he's never a great shooter, but his shot hasn't really progressed a ton. And you look at the opportunities. He's had healthy DNPs. He's had weird, like, all right, he's back in, he's back out, he's back in, he's back out. Is he a point guard? Is he a shooting guard? Like, he, we've seen him play the three even on that Knicks team. Like they are, it's the Knicks are a dumpster fire. I'll just get that out of the way. But mm-hmm. I, I'm just concerned. You know, we've seen Euro prospects come over, and I mean, the great ones will transcend. Luka Doncic hit instant success. We're seeing your boy and Nikola Jokic being incredibly successful because uh, guess what? 
they changed their entire offensive scheme because of how talented he was. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is if you have the buy-in from an organization to work with you, work around you, and work with your talents to get the best, like that's that's where you can hit the NBA level. And those I feel the European players are especially in need of that. Yeah, and that's what's gonna happen with Nasri too. Um, you know, Nicole Jokic, big big body fat boy, he he really slimmed <laughs> down. It's just gonna happen to Nasri. Um <laughs> But no, I, I think you, you you hit the nail on the head. If they're able to work with these guys, and obviously they're able to stay healthy, yeah, um, and they're able to you know do what's best for these players, all three of these guys can hit. Yeah, I, I could be looking stupid putting ball ball this low, one hundred percent. I know that's an absolute. But you've got to have a system ability. that works for a seven foot three tribuche shooting center. Exactly. You know, and that's you, you need to be able to have the guys in that weight room and in that, that training facility mm-hmm. to know how his body works. Yeah. Because, you know, we don't know fucking shit about chemistry. We don't know shit about genetics. Why right? chemistry? What are you drugging these what people? Like body chemistry. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I'm like, what are we... Well, like how, how to build up, like, or even kinetic, or uh, what's, yeah. what's it called? Kinesthetics? The ability of like building up muscle and building yeah. up weight and, and, and just weight training in general and, yep. and how his kinesiology work. Kinesiology. Um, you know, if he's put in a, a place that really knows how to work with that stuff, maybe he's able to really build up that body. And then that, that worry for me goes away. And then it's just really, can you put yourself in the best position? And then maybe the coaching is right. That's why I really would like the heat to take them. Cause yeah. I think they, they, they are very smart, at least, you know, making sure body fat percentage is all right and correct. And, and yeah, they've got the one work, of the best training steps in the NBA. Yeah, and seeing the work that they've been able to do with, with, with building up guys uh, you know, bodies. That stuff is really intriguing to me. And then you obviously, you know, just give him a great coach and Eric Spolstro. Like, yeah. That would be something that's super intriguing to me. And and I would love for Bobo to prove me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, like, I, 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 if, you're if, not, we, we know, Sean, just for anybody watching, not actively rooting against any of these kids. Yeah, but that's the thing is, like, some people then come with hate, like, well, why yeah. do you hate Bobo? I don't. I yep. just I, I don't like his game. Yep. Like and, and hate is such a you know I don't fucking hate. Yeah, this I was guy. say he's not like a murderer. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't hate. He's not Ted Bundy out here. Like he's just a kid, and I'm trying to evaluate him. Sean, and, that's and, a new clickbait title. Is Bull Bull Ted Bundy? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but no, that's the thing. Is like there's a ton of potential with him, and, and I could be proven wrong. And yeah. I hope I am. That's why I duct tape them together. Like mm-hmm. I, in in my big board, I was like, yep, yep. Here here's the little pool of like I'm hopeful of your potential. I don't know if you're gonna hit or yeah. not. Highest potential out of those three. Bull Bull. Okay, who has the best chance to succeed? Probably Cam Radish. Okay, I disagree. I think you the think... highest is is Cam. Okay, and I think the obviously I already said the highest chance to yeah, succeed is, is Seku. Okay, because um, I think if Cam puts it all together, I and mean, we're talking like Paul George, and and I mean he was we saw what Paul George just did when he Paul George put it all together, twenty eight right. point per game scorer and like a, a all defensive team player. He's incredible. Yeah, Don't like, it, so I mean that's the thing that. I, I'm really intrigued by Radish. If he all is, if he is just really that legit, yeah. Um, which you know, I'm, I'm iffy on. Uh, let's move to the next guy. Uh, we talk about potential. This guy's really just intriguing. Brandon Clark. Yeah, came in really small at the combine. Didn't have the greatest you know, size. Didn't have the greatest wingspan. But came in, showed he was an athletic freak, like we all thought he was. But the biggest thing then is you know his his age and how much potential does he really have. Does he have time to work on a shot to become a you know a three, or is he going to be putting into this role of a very small defensive four? He's not going to be able to stretch the floor that much for you. And at what's going to be twenty three at the start of the NBA season, yeah, how much room does he have to grow? And I want to bring you back to the twenty sixteen NBA draft. Okay, and we talk about him. We named an award after him, the Malcolm Brogdon Award. He was picked second round, thirty six pick. So yep. that's the sixth pick of the the, the second round. And I, I look at all the guys that went above him, and it's like, well, what 
point do you start putting Malcolm Brogdon above these guys? And I think you can put him at 30 for sure. Like, I take him above uh, Rade Zagorak. I take him above Tyler Ulyss. I take him above Chuck, Chuck Diallo. I take him above uh, Evica Zubak. I take him over Deontay Davis. I take him over Damon Jones. Mm-hmm. But then you get to DeJounte, Mur- DeJounte Murray at the Spurs. I'd probably go DeJounte. Just because DeJounte showed that he's a, a next-level defender. Yeah. And, and that he's still this young. And, yes, he d- dealt with injuries the past year, but... I feel like long-term. He's got all defensive NBA written all over him. Yes. You know? So there's a guy that I already take above him. Scale, scale of BCA, obviously I take Brogdon because, you know, Scale's not even pretty much in the league. If he is, he's, he is not, still. Doing, he's not doing anything, right? At least with the Trailblazers. Yep. He's not, he can play with him. Uh, and then at 27, Pascal Siakam. I'm taking Siakam. Like, yeah. Siakam's younger, possible, you know, most improved player of not the by year, much. winner this year. <laughs> um, but, I mean, he's a guy that I take over him. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think Brogdon's, he's an interesting prospect. There's a lot of guys in between. I get, I see your mm-hmm. point. My thing is just, and then, like, you look at, like, yeah. Terrace or, like, Malik Beasley. Like, those guys have a lot of potential and he's yeah. on their side. So, it's like, what what point is, like, Brandon Clark, it, it, at what point Too good of a Brandon player Clark, to be passed over? Yeah. And, and that's the thing with me is, like, the worries about his position fit yeah. were not there with Malcolm Brogdon. You knew what Brogdon was going to play. And he had that leadership and veteran uh, veteran mentality that Clark had. But we knew what he was going to play and we knew what he was good at. He was going to be able to lead an offense and we knew that he was going to be a good defender. It's just, was he limited potential-wise? And we knew he was going to be a great three-point shooter. We <laughs> know Brandon Clark is going to be able was... to come in and be a great athlete and be able to be a good defender. But what else can he do? God. And that's why he moved down so much for me. Being at twenty, and and maybe that's even too low for me, but I just think that he needs to be such a fit-oriented player to succeed in the NBA. Yeah, because if Brogdon wasn't on the Bucks, we don't know if he's going to be this good. Uh, I think or, he would have been, dude. Do you remember shooting splits okay. from college? Okay, yeah, fifty. I'm sorry, hang on, forty-five from the field, uh, forty-nine from two, thirty-nine from three on five point two attempts, eighty-nine from the line at four attempts a game, like. The dude is in a, his own class of shooting. And we, come on, we, we, when we looked up Tyler Hero, like we're talking about that upper echelon of percentages. There, there was, it was hard to ignore the fact that, yeah, you're, he was a Virginia right, prospect. And I misspoke. Uh, I'm, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is he, he is an elite you know, shooter. Maybe if Brogdon didn't go to the Bucks, he would have been fine and, and would have still been able to because he showed everything. Like, you but know, would he have gotten defensive. the minutes and the opportunities because of their lack of depth at point guard? I don't know. Yeah. He might still be hiding under a rock somewhere. Clark, though, my thing is, he, I think he needs to go to a certain spot. Yep. I, I misspoke. You're absolutely right. Brogdon probably would have hit anywhere. Um, but Clark, I feel like he can't really hit anywhere. He's yeah. put in a certain situation. So that's why I kind of. Put him down on my big board. Yeah, I, get, I, I agree situationally. You're, you're going to need to find a way to use him, but I think he's good enough defensively that I'm going to find a way to get him out on the court and get him minutes. Whether it is rolling him out as a small ball four, you know, I get it. He's 6'8". That's not anywhere near ideal size uh, for a four. But you know what? He's got incredible defensive instincts. He has such a good feel for the game. I think that it's worth playing him out there in those situations. You know, maybe a, a lot of people want to draw the comparison to like, well, maybe he could be like Draymond without the passing. Like, yeah, that's best case scenario. That is mm-hmm. that is by far your best case scenario is that he's able to do, you know, what Draymond Green does for the Warriors team minus the ability to pass the ball because Draymond's just on a different level as, as far as that's concerned. Also, Draymond shoots threes. He doesn't. So like, there's there's a long way to go on that gap, but I get it. You want someone who is big, strong, and, and able to disrupt offenses, whether it is 
in the passing lanes or whether it is when they're attacking the basket. And he can do both of those for you. So I agree defensively. He's he's a prospect who deserves to be taken probably top 15. Um, I, I think 20 is a bit low in my mind. Uh, mm. I know you've got him yeah, there, I, but that's, that's fine. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I agree but you just look at him like his offensive game might be fairly rudimentary, but it's effective. The question is, is are you going to be on a team that has the spacing available to let him work and drive down low and slash and cut? And like you have to run sets for him because he is not someone who is going to go ISO and make his own situation happen. I mean, you, you feed him on a handoff dribble and he keeps slashing. You're you got money. He's got mm-hmm. an amazing spin move, but that's about it when it comes into his you know bag of tricks. Yeah. So well, and that's why I'm like, give him the T wolves because you have not only if you're putting him out there with uh, the the bigs, if you're putting him with Towns and, and Dario, both those guys are fairly decent passers. Yeah. Call, Actually, yeah. Towns is a good passer. Dario's a good passer. Yep. So we're talking about you know Brandon Clark working off ball. He can do that. Um, Wiggins isn't that great of a passer, but Teague's a pretty good passer. Mm-hmm. And, and Covington can, can move the ball. So, I, yeah. mean, th- th- I think he would be a really nice fit in that offense. And then defensively, we talk all the time about Sarge isn't that great of a, a good a good of a de- defensive big. And we also look at, you know, Carl Anthony Towns' struggles with his physical guys mm-hmm. that Clark could probably at least help that out and, and oh, bridge yeah. that gap a little bit. So that's why I'm just like, give him to the Timberwolves. Yeah. Size-wise, it may not matter. He might have like, you know, that P.J. Washington strength to him where he's just... PJ plays the five at like six five. Mm-hmm. Like it's hilarious watching him being able to body center. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Skill skill matters over the measurables. And I think Brandon Clark's one of those guys who is going to exceed expectations for his size. But at the same time, you're going to look at him and go like, how is he kind of doing that? How is he so effective at it? But it, it's limited because unless he's able to work on his offensive game and, and stretch the floor. You can't have him out there and be, you know, four on five Andre Roberson style. Like yeah. that's my concern. Let's talk about finally the the guy we talk about. What seems to be every single uh, big board, and that's Nasir Little, a uh, guy that had a very interesting combine overall. Yeah, yeah. Um, came in and was was a really good size. Um, you know, obviously we, we talk about NBA bodies, um, and, and he he clearly has one six six uh, seven one and a quarter of a wingspan and an eight, eight and a half standing reach. That's extremely impressive uh, right there. And then he turns around and has some of the shittiest performances <laughs> in the agility times I've ever seen. Um, for a guy that has that NBA body, um, he was slower than Jackson Hayes, Naz Reed, and barely faster than guys like Taco Fall and Charles Bassey. He had the fourth worst lane agility time. And then you look at the shuttle run as well, and he totally totally just you know tank that as well um did he no he was actually decent at that my bad um he was decent at that he was horrible in the lane agility yeah um but he, he was fine at the shuttle run he had a, he ran a 310 which was on par with like chris wilkes um tremont waters ty jerome myoni yeah casey akpala too um but, but you you worry about you know why the hell was he so slow in the lane agility <laughs> time? and we talked about his lack of production at unc and then the big news came out when he was throwing pretty much Roy Williams in the, the whole UNC program under the bus. Just a smidge. Some people will say that he wasn't really throwing him under it. He was just more like, oh, yeah, it really wasn't my fit. And I didn't realize that. and wasn't really blaming Roy Williams. He was just more saying he didn't fit at UNC and that you know he could really stand up you know, better in an NBA uh, you know, system. But yeah. how much are you buying of that? 
how much are you buying of all this Nasir Little stuff? Because he was fine in the shuttle run three-quarter sprint. My bad. Uh, horrible in the lane agility time. Obviously showed a great body. And then he makes news with the UNC stuff. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Nasir Little post-combine? I he moved up my board to be honest. Like I get I the one drill is a bad drill, and I'll just say like mm-hmm. I have no excuses for him. Maybe just a bad day at that drill. He had a Fuck good max, max vert too. Um five point nine percent body fat also. Just insane because like five percent sort of like bordering on like unsustainable, you know? So that's kind of crazy. Uh as far as again, he moved up my board. It's it's simple as like, look, I I did not love you in college. I think everybody's been screaming from the top of their lungs. He's going to be a better basketball player in the NBA than he is in college. System didn't fit him. Nothing really worked. But you know, I get it. I look at him, and I just see someone who, at the NBA level, probably going to have a limited offensive skill set early on in his career uh, as he continues to grow his shot from the outside. You know, Not too unsimilar from Brandon Clark, but the difference is Brandon Clark can guard you know the low post like none other. And Sear Little is a potentially good wing defender i'd say right in college he showed us he was you know uh, mm-hmm. slightly above average but that's about it i think at times out there he looked lost and I, ricky goes back to the same quote uh talking about how he didn't you know he need plays to be reset and he didn't quite get it sometimes on the first try through so i just i wonder how much of it is mental how much of it is just him needing to get on the court and just get playing time consistently because that's the one thing when you had someone like Cam Johnson in front of you, he was just a better player in college. Cam Johnson's a better college player by a mile than Nasir Little. And if you're going to UNC, Roy Williams wants to win games, so he's pointing out his better player. He doesn't care about your draft stock. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the one thing that I kind of, that's the hinge, you know? It's like, I understand, but at the same time. Yeah, I, I, I think with Nasir, he also showed that he was a decent shooter too at the Combine, which was which was pretty impressive and and that's the thing unguarded that, but yeah yeah you you want to unlock that three-point potential because you always talk about you know the defensive potential it's there he showed it in that uh nike summit game right uh the hoop summit game yeah um he was like locking he down was the RJ, he was locking down cam some say not everyone tried on defense maybe not but he did but even then he tried showed that he was great and if he can show that he has that three-point percentage he can help a team immediately it's just, can he jump over that? And the biggest thing with me, him versus Cam Reddish, Reddish has more size on him, about three inches. I think that offensively, Cam has better handles and could probably do more than just a three and D player. Yeah. And I think Cam might end up having more positional versatility. It's just the thing that Nasir might end up having over him is if he did feel like he was thwarted at UNC and can turn that up a notch, maybe he can... He's with got chip that chip on, the on his shoulder. Exactly. Maybe he can he can jump over that. But kind of card stacked against him. Yeah, I'm because not he, counting he him out. He didn't but perform well at UNC. Yeah. He, he, he really has He's a lot the, against him that, yeah. of, of just needing to show a lot coming into the, the NBA draft. And also just once he comes onto a team, what he can actually do. But I love the rumor mill already going. Is he going to be a top 10 pick like Sean had in his last mock? You know, mm-hmm. you might be right on that. That's the stupid thing about it. Like mocks are mocks, but like there there are rumors out there that, you know, after the combine performance and some interviews going on, he's potentially looking at, you know, around 10, which is surprising to say the least for a lot of people. Called it. Yep. Sean called just... him a mock draft, even though I hated the pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sean. Thank you for that, because honestly, I think we all had him 
maybe I think the whole year we've it's been a little bit of a you know shit on this year because it's easy. He did not mm-hmm. play well. He underperformed yeah. in many occasions. The only games he did stomp in were against lower quality teams. So I, I'm very curious to see his individual team workouts. But I, I just him put him on the court, let him play. I hope he goes to a bad team and gets minutes. Yeah. That's my best wishes for him. And and there's there's some underlying moments that you know are are pretty positive. Shot well from the field, 47.8%. Uh, horrible from three, but hey, you look at the free throw percentage, 77%, which is, yep. which is good too. And you look at the per 40 minutes, they stand out one block, one steal per game, which is nice. Really good rebounder too. Um, yeah, for his size was, especially. Yeah, but, I mean, he's got that wingspan. You heard the standing mm-hmm. reach numbers. Showed that he was a good uh, uh, board grabber and ended up per 40. Um, you look at the, the the offensive rating stuff, 110, which isn't great in college, um, but good defensive rating too at 96. So yeah. um, definitely an interesting player. Um, it's going to be fun to see how everything pans out with him. I, I'm still iffy on him, not going all in, but definitely a guy to watch. Uh, final thoughts, Dave? Yeah, I think that this bracket or th- this this section of our mock should be just it is potential, mm-hmm. and then you've got a couple. I mean, even Rui, like we didn't talk yeah. about Rui, but Rui's the same situation. You know, he is a couple years into his college career. And he's still growing so much because he did he wasn't exposed to the game at an early age like a lot of the guys in the US were growing up. Yeah. Really the only guy in my range that wasn't potential guy was probably PJ Washington. But yeah. even then he can kinda grow. Um all your guys are potential. Um probably the least potential would be Kobe White, but he's pretty developed already. And uh same with No, same DeAndre with- Hunter. DeAndre Hunter oh, is DeAndre already Hunter, developed. Right. I, I, I totally jumped over. Yeah, Hunter, he, and, and Hunter and Kobe White are, yeah. are your guys. Evan Ricky, pretty much same thing, too. Nasir Little, Kevin Porter Jr., Goga, Kobe, Rui, Sekou, Brandon Clark, Cam Reddish, Darius, and, and I just feel like this, this class is just different than, you know, several in the past because we have not seen, you know, so many standout performances. Last year was so loaded. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just incredible to look at the last couple yeah. of years. We and, got lucky. Hey, we we did get lucky, but this but one's this still could fun. Sh- this could surprise us though. This could be like thirteen, where it just takes a couple mm-hmm. years and then guys well, stand out. And we look at that twenty sixteen draft, and it kind of sucks now. So or the yeah. twenty seventeen too, twenty seventeen draft. Like uh, that's a, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like the number one pick, Markel Fultz. Eh, you know. Yeah, no, we don't know what happened. You know, Lonzo. Eh. Uh, you know, Jason Tatum. Good first season. In the second season, we'll have to see. But let's move into the final topic, and that's going to be the one through five. We're also going to throw in our cumulative big board as well. We're not really going to talk too much about the guys one through five because it's your Zions, it's your RJs, it's your John Morant. You've heard a ton about them, yeah. Um, and there's nothing really too new that we're adding to it. But that's why we're adding the cumulative, where we'll talk about the guys that you know maybe surprised us where they ended up on that on that ranking, uh, guys that we think are too low, too high. Etc. Etc. Um, but these have been the fun top boys bringing you, uh, bringing you the uh, big board. Uh, shout out Ricky, who's uh, back at home. But Dave's got the fun top of a shirt, that's, Hawaiian for Memorial top. Day. Yeah, and then, and then I got the fun type top uh, water bottle. You know, a little little squirt bottle. Yeah, uh, that, that you fun? missed your mouth on. Yes, I did. Um, so fun times. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty much screwed with my water too because I forgot to put my gum on there and I closed the cap. So uh, uh, um, but anyways, very gross. let's get one through five. Uh, I'll start off with Ricky's, then Dave will do his. Then I'll do mine, and then we'll go to the 25 players in the cumulative. Uh, Dave will take 25 through 16. I'll take 6 through uh, uh, six through 15, and then Dave will do 1 through 5. So cool. let's start off at Ricky. Starting at 5, he has DeAndre Hunter, forward out of Virginia. 4, he has Jared Culver, guard out of Texas Tech. 3, he has RJ Barrett, forward out of Duke. 2, he has John Morant, guard out of Murray State. 1, he has Zion Williamson, out of Duke. At number five, I've got Darius Garland, guard out of Vanderbilt. At four, I've got Jarrett Culver, guard out of Texas Tech. At three, I've got R.J. Barrett, Florida Duke. 
Actually, isn't he more a guard? He's a 2-3. Whatever. Oh. Uh, RJ. I always wonder. I'm like, next level? We'll two, see. Three. Yeah. Uh, at number two, I've got my boy John Morant. He's a wing. Yeah, just keep it easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got John Morant, number two. Guard on Murray State. And number one, surprise to everyone, Zion Williams. <laughs> Very shocking. Yep. Uh, let's go through my top five. DeAndre Hunter, forward out of Virginia. Four, Darius Garland, guard out of Vanderbilt. Three, John Morant, guard out of Murray State. Disrespect. Two, RJ Barrett out of Duke. <laughs> and number one, Zion Williams, not Duke. I've said it a million times. It is like pins and needles. I just keep, I'm just consistent with it, whatever. Um, if you have John Morant at two, you're not wrong. If you have RJ at two, you're not wrong. If you have RJ at three, you're not wrong, whatever. Those guys, I think, are so close that it really doesn't matter in my mind. Um, yeah. Whatever. I got to ask. I know you in, said in the cumulative, it doesn't matter. It, Artists not too. a ton. Or just two. Before we hit the cumulative, I got one question about your top five. Yeah. And it's lack of Jarrett Culver. Because uh, I feel like he's a guy who's, like, you talked about work ethic and getting better at the game with Sekou Demboya. And I view Jarrett Culver as, like, one of those guys who just screams, like, you know, Karis LeVert, Jimmy Butler level work ethic to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he's a tough defensive uh, two guard who can ball handle for you. You know, his three-point shot's available. It's not amazing under pressure, but, you know, it's just he's one of those guys where I'm like, man, there's just a lot to like about you. Yeah, I I think you are a very positive person. I'm a very negative person, and I look at that NCAA tournament, Uh, and I I saw it. Recency trash, is trash boy central. <laughs> um, you know, I, that's I, I fair. Think, no, I think he's hot. He's seven on my list because of what you said. Yeah. His potentials are there. And then you're absolutely right. He's got potential. He grew so much from his freshman or sophomore year. That yeah. shows me he has that drive to improve. And, and he knows where to improve. And he's going to work on it every single way. So that's a huge thing. He's, he's definitely a guy that can grow. But he also tailed off his talent kind of you know lessened not lessened he peaked yeah he peaked early and i think that was the thing too is i think the biggest skill that he has is his defense and that's something that's going to definitely transfer over but i don't know what he is offensively i don't know if he's gonna be a great ball handler he might be a decent ball handler he might be able to run some sets for you but i don't think he's gonna be ever be the guy averaging more than like four or five assists a game for you i think he might get some just naturally off of fast breaks and stuff like that yeah um especially with the havoc that he can create defensively However, I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy that can be running off a pick and roll and and trying to distribute to a guy. He might be running off pick and rolls and trying to set up for himself, but I don't know if he's ever going to be running a pick and roll as a primary ball handler and not just a guy that's trying to get a screen to get some space. Yeah. And you look at the tournament, and God, it was awful. It did not end well. The the, the game against Virginia where you're going up against – Going up against next level defenders like DeAndre Hunter, he got shot, shut down, and and he he did not look creative at all. He did not look like he can gain space at all for for himself. He looked like he was just rushing up shots. He doesn't look like he's a guy that can just come up the floor and shoot. And not being able to do that in college, how the hell are you going to be able to do it in the NBA? And I don't think he's ever going to be like Jimmy Butler going last second, you know, right wing against Charlotte, throwing up a shot and hitting a three. Jimmy Butler is next level clutch. And I don't know if Jarrett Culver is that. And I don't know if Jarrett Culver is a guy that can just go and work like Jimmy Butler can in a game offensively and defensively. Yeah. Defensively, I think he can. But I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that, you know, like Jimmy, is putting up 37 in a game, going to the line 20 times a night. I don't think he can ever be no. that guy. And I would love to be wrong about it. But No, that's fair. I mean, and Jimmy I, did I, have, I like, the Juco story. Like, he had, he had mm-hmm. an awesome way to get into the league. So. And another thing, too, is Jimmy was put in such a good— 
position because as much shit as we want to give Tom Thibodeau for playing his guys so much. Good Lord, yeah. What a guy to have as Jimmy's coach because Jimmy is a guy that always wants to be pushed. And Tom Thibodeau is a hard ass. He will. It's like it was so, the ultimate combo of like, I want my guys to work hard, and Jimmy's like, I will work harder than everyone here. That's the thing is like, he literally got a drill. They sergeant. They fed off each and, other, and that's what and that's what Jimmy wanted. Jimmy yeah. wanted a drill sergeant. He got a drill sergeant, and that's why Jimmy Butler worked his ass off into where he was, yeah. and he gained confidence because of it. And that's the thing is like, if Jarrett Culver gains confidence and, and is gonna you know work his ass off like Jimmy Butler's, hell yeah, he could be yep. a great player in the NBA. I'm not I'm not cop you know uh, putting a top on his. Uh, his uh his his potential, but I look at what Culver did in the in, in the tournament, and I'm taking up that Northern Kentucky game. If you want to keep it in, keep it in. <laughs> um, but you're going up against guys that you know are not top level teams. Yep. Uh, but you're going up against you know teams like Buffalo, Michigan, Gonzaga, Michigan State, Virginia. All those teams back to back to back. That's going to be like an NBA schedule. Back to back to back to back games. We're going up against them, and you put up 16.4 points per game. That's fine. Uh, but 3.6 assists to three turnovers, yikes. Um, yeah. You look at the shooting percentage, 15% from three, yikes. Decent from the line still, 75.9%, mm-hmm. which is good. But there was no spacing there. Shot 31% from the field. That is extremely worrying to me. And those were when he was getting the most shots yeah. throughout the season. 17, 19, 19, 12, and 22. And you go up and put 31.5% from the field. He was not getting space. He was not creating space. He was not able to shoot with pressure on his face, and I worry about his offensive potential. And I don't think it's really there. Yeah, it's it's like, lacking. There and, are and if he works his he's ass not a off, one. Great. Can I? I'll just say like I don't have him as a top end. He's not my one. But like, and that's what I always thought. I, that was I the think he played about Jimmy Butler. Yep. Was that, I didn't think he was a one. And now look at it. He's a closer, <laughs> uh, but he's not the one. And it's yeah, that's working, the thing. And it worked out fairly well for them. You know, there were other issues on that 76ers team, but like. Jimmy Butler being able to lock people down defensively and contribute as a, you know, a secondary person or a third even if need be. But then when it comes down time to get shit done, like he just flips a switch and he is he is there and he is clutch, like you said. So, like, I think a role like that would be ideal. You know, I think Karis LeVert, we saw him kind of be a one prior to his injury. And then when he came back, he had to learn to play alongside D'Angelo Russell being the number one on that team. So, It'll be interesting to see. I think Jarrett would, you know, we've been mocking him, you know, anywhere from like the Hawks around basically before. So I think that uh, for him, team fit's going to be interesting. But yeah, I, I I can't see him being number one at the NBA level, at least not in the first couple of years. He's a lot of time to work on mm-hmm. uh, his situational shooting and his, his shot selection as well on top of that. But that was really my only thing out of that top, like the top five, I feel like. We, like you said, we, we've kind of run it into the ground almost. Yeah, and and the one the other guy we we're going to talk about is Garland, uh, yeah. just because obviously his injury limited his potential um, and limited his 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 showing at Vanderbilt. Right. But my God, is this kid just the more I watch of him, the more I I, I I I dig into him, he just screams an NBA guard to me, like a guy who can come in and put up twenty one points. And that's one thing that the reason why I have him at four is just because I don't know if. Anyone else in this draft besides RJ and Zion could do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think Ja can be a 20-plus scorer in, in the league. I think maybe he reaches it if, okay. he, if he works hard enough. I'm not putting that cap on him. That's fair. Um, but, like, guys that I would put money on it, and if I had to give, give you a, a three-guy parlay, yeah, Zion, RJ, and Garland are my guys that can put up over 20 a game. Yeah, I think, you know— John Morant could still put up like 19 and 10. Like, I think he's going to be a very effective offensive <laughs> player. Yeah. But I don't know if he's going to take enough shots to be a 20 point scorer. Fair or enough. Garland, 
dude can shoot from the outside. Yeah. He'll rack up a ton if he's shooting five, five threes a night. And I think he's going to be able to be a very a guy who can wreck havoc offensively pretty much. And that's why I have him high. If, if, if people think it's too high, whatever. But he's it lines screaming, up with, screaming yeah. NBA guard. It, it definitely lines up. And just like you said, the, the, the need for a guard to be able to shoot mm-hmm. a three right now is unparamount. Like, if you can't shoot a three as a guard... You basically shouldn't even be playing guard. Looking at you, Ben Simmons. Um, sorry, Jake. Just giving you a small. Looking at you, six ten Ben Simmons guard. Yep, yep. Uh, I just I get it. And Derek Brown six two. Like, and that's on a good day. I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes down to it, I love his ability to create his own shot. Though, like that, being able to make your own shot, and then if you need to come off ball and make shots, that's what's key. And especially when you know the number one team rumored and in being interested in you as the Lakers sort of sort of rings true you know so that mm-hmm. draft position lines up with our big board sometimes it works out that way sometimes it doesn't yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see though I think he's one of those guys who NBA level you can put him on any team yeah. and he, he would be able to do his he'd be able to get his own points you know let's jump into the big thing though that's our cumulative big board let's start off at 24 two guys tied for it Kelton Johnson and Naz Reed then at 23 we have Lewis King at 22 we have Talon Horton Tucker from Woo! Iowa State. 21, we have Tyler Hero. At 20, we have Jackson Hayes out of Texas. At 19, we have Nikki Alexander Walker from Virginia Tech. At 18, we have Casey Akpala. At 17, we have PJ Washington. And at 16, we have Nasir Little from UNC. Yep. At number 15, we've got Rui Hachimura. At number 14, we've got Romeo Langford out uh, of Indiana. Him and Kevin Porter are tied for 13. Also tied at 13. I'm sorry, reading numbers <laughs> is hard. Also at number 13, it's Kevin Porter Jr., like Sean just said. At number 12, we've got Brandon Clark. At number 11, we've got Goga Patazde. At number 10, we have Kobe White. At number 9, I mean tied for number 8. There you go. We've got Sekou Demboya. Also tied for number 8, we've got Cam Radish. At number 7, it's Bull Bull. And at 6, it's Darius. No, it's DeAndre Hunter. It's DeAndre Hunter. It's really hard for me right now. At 5, we have Darius Garland. At 4, we have Jarrett Culver. 3, we have RJ Barrett. 2, we have John Morant. And one we have Zion Williamson. Dave, what's the biggest takeaway you have from the cumulative once you see them all together? Um, the biggest thing that I think for me is just the 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 discrepancy we have between the guys tied for eighth up to the guys like Kobe White and down. So if we 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 put that's them sort of the line in the sand to, to like value levels. Yeah. Um, Seku and Cam got fifty four. Kobe White got forty six points. So there's a real just difference there between those prospects. Yeah. And, and and we can kind of see the tier two. Um, yeah, Jared you... Culver got 63. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can see from like Seku, so the two guys tied for eight to Culver at four, that's pretty much your tier two right there. And then your tier one is RJ, Ja, and Zion. Yeah. And then well, it's like Zion's you... one. And then yeah. ja, I would I would even separate that because it's like we all know yeah, Zion. If, if we could wait it, Zion would be like, you know, 90 right now we'd give him so many fucking points exactly um but yeah i mean so really tier one zion tier two john rj yep tier three culver to seku and then tier rest is kobe white and down yeah i agree and that's we talked about how thin of a draft it was this year and it's it's incredibly apparent because you talk about that uh you know third ish tier fourth tier and that's just we're we're hoping on potential we hit that sweet package of bobo cam seku and Darius Garland there. And we talked about all those guys just being potential guys. Exactly. So the one established guy is DeAndre Hunter. Um, another guy the Lakers are potentially interested in, just because I'm reading rumor mill right now. Mm-hmm. Um, guy that I don't have that 
you know, I've got him at number nine on my big board, uh, which is different from you guys. You guys have him at five. I just, I don't know what it is about him. His game does not excite. I don't know what at the next level people think he is worthy of a, being such a top pick. He's a good defender in a system that continues to prove continues to make very good defenders but like it makes everyone look good i should say mm-hmm. and i wonder at the nba level like if if you're not able and to my ability i i haven't seen him be an elite uh, have an elite ability to create his own shot so okay so you might need to depend on others you might be a catch and shoot guy earlier in, in your career but you're already older and i'm not super excited about that and I think everybody else has higher potential than you. And I value potential over, you know, that right now. But I guess if you are a team like the Lakers, I could see the need for somebody who can, you know, just slap him on the court and you don't have to be concerned about him making dumb mistakes. Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me. It's just like we talk about the lack of excitement, which is true. But I think Hunter, he showed me enough offensively, especially in the tournament, that he can be an NBA he had a takeover, player. yeah. And defensively, he's there. So it's just he's a solid player. And that's the thing is like I don't know if you could find a solid a more solid player in the draft than than him. Probably not. Um, like you have guys that are really great and really talented like Zion, Ja, and RJ. But even then, there's questions about him. Like Zion, like what's his position? Can he stay healthy? And you know, obviously we yeah. we question about his landings and takeoffs and all that stuff. <laughs> we worry about me. his ability to stay healthy. Yep. Ja Morant is he big enough? That's a big question about him. Like He's played can, against NBA level talent? Nope, not yet. Yeah, and 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 can he be? a good enough offensive player scoring wise. Cause he could pass the ball, but scoring, can he be next level? we talked, I just talked about it. Like I don't, I wouldn't bet on him scoring 20 points uh, in, in his career. And then RJ, a game in his career. Yeah. Is just he just asterisk that? Is he a chucker? Yeah. And, and, and what shot selection is what, what uh, elite awful. level is he when it comes to offensive play or DeAndre Hunter? I know he's going to step in. He's going to be a good offensive player. He's going to be a good defensive player. Yep. He's going to be a solid player. There's no way he's going to, yep. if he busts, like I'm not betting be anything, but I'd shave my head. Yeah. Like I. But like it, it's it's like do asking, some weird things. It's like asking you know, would you take you know Robert Covington in his current state at the number five pick in the draft? What draft? This year that thank you thank you because that's my point. I think that's what like this year has changed my opinion. Of, like, I guess it's the first time in the years that we've been doing it. You know, for MVP, where it's like we're paying so much attention to the draft and the quality of the draft every year. And this year's draft is just so top heavy, mm-hmm. and then it just falls off the earth, like you can see in our mock. And it's just like, damn! Uh, if you're not taking a swing at some guy with potential, you're gonna get a guy who, at his best, is a three and D wing, but with the number five, six, seven pick in the draft, you know, that mm-hmm. seems a little uh, sketchy. But then the thing is, like, it's so right? bo- value. It's, yeah, it seems like guys have so much high bust potential. It's like, well, at seven, don't you want to get a value out of that spot? Yeah, can, so that's uh, do you have the? I think the the one wild card in that is like GMs who have the ability to take a swing and a miss. Yeah, you know, if you've got a newer GM in there, or Atlanta, Atlanta can take a swing. Atlanta and can miss. absolutely swing and miss. They've got two picks. They've got a great situation going, and they've got a great core built already. Uh, but you've got other guys who are closer to a hot seat. Uh, we wish to God Garpax was on a hot seat. <laughs> Invincible. Fuck, they're both invincible. But their way out could be like, oh, it's a bad draft. Yeah. What do you, what do you want That's to the do? That's the thing. I, take a swing on somebody. That's. Yeah. I will always, not always, I will, in the majority of cases, have the opinion that it's like, look, potential pays off more often than it doesn't. 
And value-wise, if you tell me I'm going to get Robert Covington at five, how happy are you going to be? Yeah. You know? And mm-hmm. that's that's my concern. It's not a bad thing. He's an excellent player. I love Robert Covington. The dude's fucking the OG process, you know, success story. But I don't know that if I look in a draft class, looking back at past draft classes and seeing, you know, who goes in the top 10, you see your fair share. You see a lot of busts, actually. Uh, but you also, you know, see, like, would you be excited about him going there? Not really. Yeah. And that was one guy that you kind of had underrated, and that was something that we were looking at. is like, what guys, who had who pretty low? You had him at nine, and yeah. I think did, you guys had, had him at five. fives. Yeah, so that was one guy that was underrated. Another guy that was underrated was by me, Hachimura. I had him at 22. Yep. And you guys had him at 11 and 11. You both had him at 11. So I had him nine spots below you guys. And and you talk about, you know, obviously DeAndre Hunter being uh, kind of flavorless, where Hachimura yep. is pretty interesting. He uh, is. Being Japanese-born, we rarely see those players, if ever, uh, yep. make it to the NBA. So that's that's a first right there. That's definitely exciting and, yeah. and definitely a, a milestone that he should be proud of. And another thing, too, is, like, you see him, and it's like, oh, wow, this guy's pretty loaded, showed some pretty good athleticism. Mm-hmm. Like, he seems pretty, like, fun. Like, you know, we talk about an interesting player. Like, yeah. what can he actually be? But I feel like we get caught up in that a little bit too much, and I don't know if he has just an NBA-like ability to take it at guys and, and really destroy people. And and I think that's what people want to see out of him is the ability to go up against a guy and, you know, drive down the lane and throw down on him. They want to see him be honest. Like, I feel yeah. like that there was one article early this season that basically crowned him like, is he the next Giannis? And since then, the comparisons almost like ruined his draft prospects. It's <laughs> like, dude, you are not and no one else is Giannis. Like, they just can just stop. Yes, they have similar aspects story-wise. Yes, they both are international players who came over. But like... It's it's worlds apart as far as talent level, skill level, and you know where they are at this point in their careers. You know, Giannis came over as a uber raw Euro prospect, where Rui came over to play college basketball, and really, you know, I think a lot of his game has grown so quickly because he was introduced to basketball so late in his life, and that's the thing people are oozing about the upside for him. They're like, even though he's older, but like think about you know Giannis's growth arc. And how he was most improved player three years in a row, basically, unofficially. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. is like, how good could this guy be if he continues to grow at this rate? Could be, I mean, he could absolutely be and amazing. The difference is, though, is like Rui's been at Gonzaga for a couple of years now. Correct. Giannis didn't have that exposure right. to American basketball. I agree. So that's one thing that immediately takes him back. Like, yep. You're not going to be Giannis. And Giannis also was super rail thin and had the ability to grow his body and strength train, and that was something that, too, we weren't expecting. Yeah. Hachimura's already pretty much he feels NBA solid, size. yeah. So those two kind of detract from the Giannis thing. And the thing that he does have in common with Giannis is that they both can't shoot. Um, <laughs> but What do I you look mean? At, look at the percentages. But, but the thing that Giannis has is that next level, and we talked about it already, motor and drive and success. And I don't know Hachimura enough to say he has it or does not have it. And that's really what's going to determine his career. And if that's what we're determining his career on, I have to solely base it on the things that I know. And I know that he's not going to be a number one scorer for your team. I, I, I don't see that that skill at all. I think he's going to be mainly a transitional offensive piece. I don't really see him working in sets too much. Maybe on some backdoor screens. But then we're just getting pretty much to the Brandon Clark situation. His, his teammates. Teammates, yep. 
I don't think he's a creative scorer at all. And defensively, I don't think he's like crazy long enough like Giannis is to be a real threat. So, I mean, he's got, what, a 7-2 wingspan, right? Does he? Yeah. Is that what he came in with? Uh, Double-check the combine results. I'm a stall for time and just say I'm pretty sure he was pretty long. Uh, not like the longest guy, but, you know, good enough size, wingspan-wise. And Sean, how are we doing on that? Um, I'm either spelling Rui wrong or in test. In test. Okay. I'm pretty sure the rumor was 7-1. I'm double-checking, but, you know. I, yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, I didn't see any numbers out there, so that's kind of something that's concerning. Uh, someone said it's seven Google's two. Pops seven up, two, yeah. But that's reportedly from SB Nation. Yep. Um. So I don't know. I Stephian think, has him at seven one and a half. Yeah, it's no likely that he's six nine with a seven one in a you know half to seven mm-hmm. two range. I think that's pretty great size. I think that defensively he can be. Uh, he's got potential if to that, grow if there. If that is the yeah. legit size, then yes. Because then, then we're talking Agreed. about him as an you know, he's another prospect with similar measurables to like Seku, right? Yeah. And skill set wise, he's already got a good motor. Seku, you know, we'll see as the much younger prospect, mm-hmm. uh, much rawer prospect. But at the same time, but Seku's got a better shot already from uh, the outside. Yes, form. absolutely. I think I the think inside. That- Rui just decimates him, though. I disagree. Really? Yes. I, cutting the basket similar. I've seen too many times with Rui where he puts his back to the basket, and he's not quick enough turning around where the guy can just put his hand directly in his face, and then he starts to panic. I, I, I don't think Rui is a guy that deals with pressure well enough in the NBA to be a guy that can rise over rise over shots. And, hey, maybe Seiko isn't either, but he's got three years on him to develop that. Yeah. So that's the thing is, like, it's not even close. I think Rui's got a good face-up game. I, I think inside face-up game, yeah, yeah. Rui's face-up post-up game, no. Okay, I, I his post-up game's too slow. Uh we'll have to see. I, I, I'm I'm different opinion, but uh, there's nothing Everything I can say. I saw out of him, especially the yeah. Texas Tech game, too fucking slow from a post-up standpoint. I, but, I think his face-up working inside the arc is excellent, and as mm-hmm. seen by his numbers, is excellent and efficient. But I think Seku could be that, that you know? similar efficiency, especially when he reaches but the But with the addition of the outside at. shot. Yes. Okay. And and I think, and that's that's shown on our boards. I mean, yeah. it's just yours. You have him so much lower, and that's where I'm like, is, well, it, is it just the age in combination with the lack of an outside shot? If we compare him to P.J. Washington. Yeah. Well, well, you have P.J. lower than Rui. Right. I have PJ obviously higher. I think that they're going to play the same position. PJ seems stronger to me, looks stronger, looks like a brick shit house. Um, has a very sweet stroke, has shown that motor to grow and, and stick with it. He was, I mean, you, you look at what he was. Yeah. Uh, a guy freshman year did not play at all and then worked his ass off to be the guy for Kentucky. Yep. And I think that they can be similar defenders. So automatically, I look at offensively, I think that he's a better driver. I think he's got a great pull-up shot driving to the bucket and in a mid-range spot, and he's a great outside shooter. I, I and see he's a, he's a great, he's a great He's a great post-up player as well. PJ Great's is. a strong word. He's, a, all right, he's, a, <laughs> he's better He's better than Hachimura posting up. Fair enough. I, I agree to that, uh, but I will add in the fact that where I see Rui as more of a number two scorer on a team, I think PJ is more of a complimentary four scorer. Like, he is, like, not an early option, I think the corner three for him has been the best thing for him going back to college for that second year. That corner three has paid for itself. Like He put in the work in the gym, and I will give him all the credit in the world for that because adding that to his game has made him 
you know, top 20 draft worthy. Absolutely. But I look at Rui and I see a guy who just ball in his hands is dangerous. He likes to drive. He likes to face up and score. You know, people, you know, want to give him the opportunity to do that. And I think that he has that like number two option on a team kind of potential as a score. So I, I think the upside is higher with Rui in my mind. I see PJ and I know we hate capping players, but like mm-hmm. I see PJ being, you know, third, fourth option on a team putting up like yeah. 11 points a game. And I, I disagree with you. I, 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 I just think that you look at the numbers, uh, especially usage rate, uh, Rui had like a three percent higher usage rate than than uh, Hachimura did. Um, and Wait, Rui had a higher usage rate than PJ. PJ, okay, yeah, twenty eight to like twenty five. Yep. Um, and, and another thing too is is uh, Hachimura played a couple more minutes uh, per game, pretty much like a whole minute uh, per game more than than PJ. So if we compare the the per forty minutes, uh, yeah, the per forty stats. Um, obviously Hachimura beats him uh, offensive offensively scoring wise. Um. But I think the biggest thing that really stands out to me for that would then be to the advanced analytics. And the box plus minus is in favor of uh, Washington. Offensive box plus minus is in favor of Washington. And as well as defensive uh, box plus minus is in in favor of Washington. I mean, P.J. Washington was one of the most efficient players, at least from that standpoint, at 11.5. And and Rui came in at 7.8. And... I think that the biggest thing that PJ needs to work on is just turnovers. Um, he, he, he really was loose with the ball. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that PJ showed me enough that on a team with so many options that he could rise up above that and be a scorer that could be a three scorer to a two scorer at, at his best days, where I think Hachimura isn't that guy. I don't think he could is run. Is PJ Washington like Carlos Boozer esque? You know, is that what you're feeling Ooh. out of his game? No, but that's I, I didn't. I like tossing of, out names. That's all I'm doing. I don't right know now. about Carlos Boozer because he's more of a four. Yeah, uh, I think PJ's more of a three. Okay, three four. We talked about those. Before. Yeah, size wise, um, he's what six eight. Yeah, so. outside game, Boozer's better. I mean, sorry, uh, outside game, uh, PJ's way better than Boozer. So D- slightly different errors, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I just I, see. I, you know. I just I, I think PJ Washington's a better player than Rui Hachimura. So that's why that that difference is there. All right, that's a that's a big drop though for. Uh, not I don't know. You, you listen to the numbers. PJ's got a fair case. Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't feel like it to me that uh, that drop is warranted. Right. Final guy is uh, Ricky. Just not even having Keldon Johnson on the board. Um, what do you think about that? Because we we had him at twenty three and twenty four, so it's not too crazy. But putting Cam Johnson in there, putting Lewis King. Uh, why do you think Keldon fell off for Ricky? I think it has to be the tourney play. You look at him during the tournament and you see how Tyler Hero stepped up, Keldon Johnson stepped out, and that's basically what it came down to. And I know Ricky's not here to defend his pick, so I'm just taking a stab at it. But if you look at the numbers from the tournament, I think that's, and you watch the play, like Kelton had some moments and it's just like slap your face, you know, just like what, what are you just face palming? What are you doing right now? He's just, he has a great work ethic though. Uh, he's strong. He's long. I think that, you know, talent wise, I don't know if he's ever going to hit his top potential, but at his floor, you know, he's like a, He's a defending wing, you know, uh, who can give you the ability to shoot threes. I don't know if he he's probably going to be about league average from three, mm-hmm. which will be fine. He's like a slightly worse, less controversial KCP, you know? And that's not a bad thing. It's just, I don't know. I think the value of that position is why he's going to get drafted higher than where, you know, Ricky doesn't have an, on his big board. But we saw Tyler Hero really step up. We saw P.J. Washington step up in the tourney and... 
I think Keldon kind of took a back seat where during the regular season, Keldon had been the guy for the majority of that season. Mm. Final thoughts, Dave, on the whole big board. This has been a fun couple minutes with the fun tap boys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're not too far off. I'll be honest. Like our cumulative, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I wonder how much is going to change, you know, looking back on this in a couple of years and seeing where these guys end up at. I'd love to have like a, a, a you know, a, a long re- overdue. Re-look? Yeah. Yeah. We'll do that during the off season for, for, for probably the, the old, older drafts. Absolutely. Um, I think the the thing though is if it feels weird being the one that brings the heat. Ricky's there's the one that brings the heat. Yeah, he felt pretty vanilla on his big board. He did. It was so, kind of weird. Uh, anyways, let us know your thoughts on our big board, the cumulative, the 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 personals as well. Uh, that was our one through five on our cumulative big board. We'd love to hear your thoughts down in the comments below. We want to thank Matt for joining us on the hotline. If you want to become a patron like Matt, check out Patreon.com/slash/MostValuedPodcast. Also. Friday looks like Friday, um, like seven probably seven seven thirty seven seven eight maybe. Uh, we'll be uh, we'll be on twitch.tv slash most about podcast with our hey. live mock draft. Uh, we'll obviously flesh out more details. Check uh, twitter.com slash most about pod for the full details. Also subscribe to us on twitch.tv slash most about podcast uh, to make sure you do not miss it. But we're looking at Friday. Round, we got follow yeah round eight. Yep. Um, with my work schedule, but you guys are I'm guessing off so. Uh, definitely check that out. It's going to be a fun time. It was a fun time last year. And we're going to have trades in that one, so Ricky can finally uh, trade all the picks that he wants to. So it's going to be a good time. Thank you so much for listening to the Primetime Podcast. Ricky will be back soon. For Dave Oster, I'm Sean Anderson. Thank you to Matt, our patron. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.